Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. What is the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls? What do apologists not tell you? Have there been forgeries? And do their very existence prove that the universe had a creator? Let's find out. Welcome everyone to Deep Drinks Podcast. Thank you so much for coming out. It's an, an honor to be able to put on these shows. They're absolutely uh, fantastic um, to be able to have conversations with people uh, like my guest today, who is Kip Davis, Dr. Kip Davis, who is a philologist, a Hebrew Bible scholar who specializes in the Dead Sea Scrolls and Second Temple Judaism, focusing on ancient scribal practices. Dr. Kip Davis received his PhD in religion and theology from Manchester University in 2009, and among many other things, you may recognize him from his PBS, from the PBS Nova documentary, Dead Sea Scroll Detectives, which documented his part in discovering the forgeries in the Dead Sea Scrolls antiquity market. With that said, I'd like to welcome, for a very fun stream, with whiskey involved and metal bands, Welcome, Dr. Kip Davis. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for coming on. No, I've been looking forward to this. This is going to be fun. So, um, you know, we're running this slavery panel, right? And yeah. um, I'm, I'm trying to find uh, an image of you um, to use. Oh. And the image that just everyone is using is just the one where you're, like, looking over some, like, a some something uh, maybe a laptop or some artifacts or something, and you're wearing an Iron Maiden T-shirt, and I was like, "Yes, this I like this guy." So, uh, so what I thought is, um, we needed to start this conversation, but as we as we pour the drink of choice uh, by talking about metal bands. But first of all, what is what are we drinking? What are we drinking? We're drinking uh, fine Canadian rye tonight. <laughs> Crown Royal. This is uh, this is this is David's first drink of Crown Royal. Look at, I'm I'm look at my believe. look at the size of my bottle compared to okay. your like that. <laughs> that's the size, I'm, also the size of our knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is, no. Well, yeah, so, I wanted to be ready for tonight, right? So I yeah I figured I better I I better have a, a big enough bottle. So uh, so there are there are a variety of. Uh, of Canadian rye whiskeys, um, Canada Club, Gibson's, Alberta Premium whiskey. I particularly like Crown Royal. It's it's easy enough to find. Well, unless you're in Australia. <laughs> yeah, this was and, this, uh, this and cost it's quite me like smooth. this cost me like fifty dollars for like a or less fifty five bucks. For Holy just like cow! A tiny, yeah, it's it was just sold out everywhere. My my bottle was not fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the also the conversion. Um, oh, that's yes, nice. So it's, it's very good, smooth. Eh? Very smooth. Yes, yeah, it's very smooth. So I'm a I'm a bit of a, a Scotch fan myself. So I I like a whiskey that kind everyone. of puts up a bit more of a fight. That you kind of feel like you've been <laughs> smacked in the mouth a little bit. But yeah, this right? is I can see that this this has a bit of that, but it's also very smooth at the same time. Yeah, it's it's a it's a nice easy drinking rye. Yeah, yeah, I find which so which um which is is going to be a little bit dangerous. I can tell. Uh, I told I told my family um, they're coming over for a dinner afterwards, 
Uh-oh. And um and yeah, and I said, look, look, I've got a, I've got a Bible scholar coming on, and he wants to drink straight whiskey, and so this is this is what we do. This is what we'll have we'll do. I might be drunk is, at the family event. Um, you know, this out, is the occupation up. Hazard. Yeah, exactly. You didn't so, pick this up; it picked you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so the, the very first, I want to start this conversation because oh, obviously, so maybe I, maybe I should. You, sorry, you told you yeah. told your. I I I was going to say when I when I told my wife that uh, that I was doing this podcast and that we were drinking uh, straight <laughs> oh, rye. Right. So she said to me, she said, "If you get sick drunk, she said you're sleeping outside." So so you got a sleeping bag ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, and this is it's even worse because i'm going i'm going snowboarding with my kids tomorrow so oh great that's <laughs> well, great we'll, we'll see this you may, this maybe you might be coloring coloring some of the snow for um make it like a yellowy vomit <laughs> yes, kind of color yes um responsible mm. drinking of alcohol people it's for me it's 11 a.m uh i just just had <laughs> breakfast and coffee so it's but luckily it's socially acceptable to drink in australia um here here so so I wanted, uh, sorry, drinking the day in Australia. It's already affecting me. So one of the things I, I wanted to do is um, is mention. Uh, so so you're obviously a professor, a professor, a doctor of um, PhD in you know um, the Hebrew Bible and uh, philology, which is I guess philology is that like ancient writing? Is that what? That so is? that is it's it's basically it's basically uh, syntax, diction, writing, grammar. Um, texts it's it's like a comprehensive overview of uh, a textual scholarship so you can be you know a hebrew philologist or you could be an english philologist or um an australian english philologist mm -hmm. i don't know if there is such a thing but probably but, probably uh, not <laughs> the the textbook's probably pretty thin eh yeah so uh <laughs> so, so yeah well... it's just it's just a fancy way of of saying um I specialize in texts of this language and okay. you know with a with a with with the uh with the intention of doing close uh deep readings um mm. of the language right of course that involves all sorts of other things too but but that's that's what philology is well it's like the love of language or yeah. knowledge or you know well, with, with with someone like yourself on with such a such a vast no like uh, vast knowledge of the ancient Near East, I know everyone is wanting to know this question, which is, what are your top five favorite metal bands? Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so everyone knows. Um, like, I uh, I grew up in Canada, um, mm -hmm. and I I got a postdoc. I, I did I did uh, my 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 PhD in the UK. Um, I got a postdoc to go and work in Norway for three years. And uh, when I I left Canada to go to Norway, I in many ways felt like I had had discovered my long lost country and my people um, oh. because they play uh, like like serious face smashing death metal on the radio in Whoa. Norway and Sweden and Finland. So uh, I have, I have lots and lots of friends, uh, biblical scholars, mostly in the, the, the Nordic countries. And this is, no, this is pretty normal stuff. 
um, mm-hmm. to be a, a massive heavy metal listening biblical scholar. So uh, when you asked me about my five favorite metal bands, I, I like agonized over this all week uh, <laughs> because I, I, I started with a list of like 20 um, and you, you, you're forcing me to whittle it down to five. Uh, so I, yeah. I mean, right away, I have to give, I have to give a whole bunch of honorable mentions to yep. like the, the great, uh, the great German supergroup Romstein or, uh, like the very, very, uh, angry want to kick your balls in OTEP, uh, the, yep. the, the Hungarian Thai catafalque. I love death, uh, wheel, Nine Inch Nails, uh, the French band Koshida, Sepultra. Uh, I like Ginger, um, Marilyn Manson, Megadeth, Corn, uh, Stone Sour. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I listen to all this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, but because you're you're making me pick five. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. You're right. You ready? And we're gonna go. We're gonna start at so, the top because everybody knows, right? Everybody yes. knows who's number one. Well, so, I was thinking. So I've written my top five as well. So um, oh, oh, I don't okay. have mine in any. Particular are we gonna, are we gonna go back and forth? Is yeah, let's go back doing? and forth. So give us give are us we, number five. Oh, oh, we're gonna start with number five. Okay, and go go um, to the top. And this, so I'll, I'll have to I have to clarify too that maybe tomorrow, uh, spots two through five have 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 all switched. Yeah, right? that's the like same it, for me. It's there's one, and then there's like the next five. <laughs> Or the next yeah. four, uh, yeah. so uh, number five on my list is a is a band uh, that I encountered when I moved to Norway uh, from the the great city of Stavanger, uh, oh, and they okay. they shriek in nothing but Norwegian, and you should all check them out. Uh, my number five band is Kvelertok. Kvelertok, okay, I've never Kvelertok. heard of them. Kvelertok. Okay, how do I spell Who's that? Who's number five, man? K V E L E R. Yeah. T is it okay? Uh, it's A K. And it's a Norwegian word which basically means like strangling you. <laughs> okay. So I've uh, <laughs> that's that's great. So I'll so um, let me just, sh- I want to share so people can get the vibe of some of these bands oh, because I think okay. Google images yep. can see, I, I wondered about, about putting this together. There we go. Did... Now I have to, I have to make a qualification here. Okay. Um, uh, on their last album split, which was a year ago. Now they featured yep. a new lead singer and I just, I just don't like him as much. He's just not okay. as good. So their their uh their their last album that they did just before Split, Nottisford, is phenomenal. Everybody should okay. listen to it. Okay. And then um the uh uh Mir is very good and um and the other one before that I can't I can't remember it offhand. I would have worn I used to have a Caveller Talk uh concert tee, but I think I uh I think I left it in a hotel room somewhere. So yeah. 
I, I, uh, okay, you're number five, man. So my, my number five. So I, I I have to give a few honorable mentions as well. Um, mm. Like to, Certainly. I mean, as cr as cringy as it is, like new metal kind of stuff as well. I like corn, oh. like honorable mention. Yeah, I yeah. like um, I even I even like Limp Bizkit's Chocolate Starfish album. That was a fun album. Um, hey, I don't. I mean, I I know that we're getting this. I know I we're getting this. some controversy. Yeah, I can listen to it. It's good. But my. My number five, and I have to, I have to put this here because it played such an important part of my, um, my teenage years, is Metallica. Metallica is my number five, and since going back and listening to the discography um, recently, um, I mean, really, when I say Metallica, it's like the Load and Reload albums kind of were like, mm. eh, but like Black was a great album, Masters of Puppets, and Just in, yes. um, and Justice for All. Ride the Lightning, Kill Them All. That's I my mean, favorite. Were... Which one? Ride the Lightning. Ride the yeah. Lightning is my favorite Metallica album. Yeah. yeah. So, but you should know, everybody should know this because, you know, I, I'm like one of these weirdos. Uh, Metallica is not on my list. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I saw that you posted that. You saw that. <laughs> mm. I have to, but I have I, to say I like... that Iron Maiden is not on my list. But it's an honor oh. there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So we go on uh, number four. Yeah. Are we ready for number, number four. four? Number four. Yep. Okay. Uh, this is a local Canadian band. They actually they're just from oh wow uh, down the road in Vancouver. Uh, Unleash the Archers. Uh, and I have to I have to actually uh, give a shout out to uh, uh, a YouTube. Um, I see them all over. Uh, there they are. Oh, Phenomenal. Wow. Have they got a, have they got a female lead? Stuff. Yep. Wow, and that's she, cool. And she kills it. So have you ever, uh, have, have you um, ever seen this? Uh, do you know this? Uh, she's like a, she's like a trained uh, opera singer. This, this, um, no, the charismatic uh, voice. No, oh, the charismatic yeah. voice no, on, yeah, on YouTube. She's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, but she's 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 listens to um, she, she's done a few reviews of Unleash the Archers albums, and she's had the uh, the female vocalist on uh, once or twice uh, in an interview. Wow! Um, wow! What is that's... Metallica was the first band I slept outside for. Oh, wow! <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, can I tell you? Well, I I have. The closest I've ever gotten to seeing Metallica live. This is the lamest story you'll ever hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I was uh, probably 17 years old. And uh, and it was the Black Album. What it would, yeah, I think it would have been the Black Album tour then. Um, I was, I, I grew up in, uh, in Calgary, Alberta. And I was hardcore for Jesus when I was 17 and my, <laughs> my very good, my very good friend of mine and I, he was also hardcore for Jesus. Um, we were like, we were, we wanted to be evangelists yeah. and we were also oh, no. like oh, headbangers. So um, <laughs> what we decided to do, we're like, you know, we're not going to be like those lame evangelists who just, preach at people we actually took like our hard-earned money and went and bought like uh cassette tapes 
because this is you know the yeah. the 1980s yeah the very late 1980s we bought cassette tapes of uh christian heavy metal bands oh and then wow. we went we went to the metallica concert and wandered around and it's it's so it's fucking february uh it's probably uh 18 degrees below zero celsius whoa uh, whoa whoa you know in my That's hometown cold. and we're wandering around you know outside they wouldn't they, they'd let us into the concourse just to warm up a little bit but the security didn't want us inside the building um so we wandered around outside accosting people <laughs> trying to give them these cassette tapes uh, <laughs> at the metallica That's concert so and and it was hard and I I might have broken to tears once or twice as I as I listened to um um uh what's what's the drummer's name now uh, Lars Ulrich um, yes Lars Ulrich as we listened to him uh doing his doing his his drum solos you know in the inside the uh the arena so wow closest I ever got to seeing Metallica <laughs> wow so and wow. the next time. More recently, they did a concert here in uh, in BC, and and I thought about like taking one of my kids uh, to go. I have three, but I'm not rich, so my poor kids have to take turns <laughs> doing fun things with dad. Yeah, um, I oh, and I no, thought, it's... oh, it'd be fun to take one of my kids to go see uh, Metallica. And the reason I wanted to go was because there was another band that's on my list that I wanted to go see. But then when I checked Ticketmaster and found out that they started at like $130, I was like, nah, it's yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. that important. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, man. Unleash the uh, archers, everyone. Unleash um, the archers was number four. And for me, my number four, and this is like, so we're getting my list now is like all over the place. You see, I'd probably put this band as probably number two at the moment but i'm putting them oh. number four because okay they're, they're just very they're a very new addition to my metal like favorites uh and that is tool, tool. oh yeah they're good eh yeah, yeah. just like just them. like the just i feel like i can put tool on and like lay, lay down and just kind of go on a journey oh. where like i can't do that with a lot of metal bands you know like with the tool it feels like their their albums are so like they take you on a journey. I don't know. It's, it's wild. Like, um, there's, there's this one song, uh, there's this one song we, I just recently had a, um, uh, Atlas. We just had a baby Atlas and I had, yeah. I had Atlas. We're in the hospital and I had him on my chest, I think, or maybe Amy had him. Anyway, I was lying there and I was like half asleep cause you can't really, you know, it's bad sleeping in the hospital and I've got um, my headphones yeah. in and it's, I think it's the song after schism on their, on one of their albums. And it has this big, like, like drone noise that comes in in one of the yeah, songs yeah. and it just hit like i was in like this like half sleep state and it hit me in this weird way that it felt like some it was in the room and it felt like what my body i think think it felt like i actually moved i was like whoa like it felt like my head was like spinning like it was like oh, yeah. and i was just like whoa and i was just like and i woke up like oh like i thought i was falling off the bed it was it was crazy it's crazy when music can do that to you that's awesome yes it is yeah it is crazy. okay Number three. Number three is and now I I have to I have to say I I had some reservation about whether or not this even counted. Um, okay. 
but uh, easily one of the bands that I listen to the most. Like, I rotate stuff quite a bit, um, but these guys are always, it seems like they're always in the rotation, and that is Ghost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't love Ghost? <laughs> well, it's it's funny. I know, like, that, the, oh, I, oh, yes. It's, um, Square Hammer. If it wasn't oh, for Square Hammer, God. that song and that whole like <laughs> the video was amazing. Vibe. The oh, video yeah. was fucking amazing. It's yes. just such a weird, oh. weird band. The anti-pope kind of stuff, and and oh yeah, and they go. So, it, it goes into um like this old Dracula style. Like oh, yeah, like, come here, brother, and like it's just creepy. I love Ghost. I yes. love. Yes. How weird that is. And it's the well, it's the best. <laughs> I think my favorite thing in this video is is when they move, they don't like they're they look like they're just kind of floating across yeah. the screen, right? It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's I love so it. good. My this this same buddy of mine, uh, who who you know went on the uh evangelistic crusade to save all the poor people in the Metallica concert. Uh, yeah. told me recently he was at like, uh, he, he was, he was at a party or something and, and he, uh, he just, or, or he had a party at his house and, and he just had like, like, um, um, uh, like, like a mix on in the background, mm -hmm. which included, uh, some ghost and, uh, someone commented in the party about, about, you know, what a great, what a great, uh, mix this was and who is this? And he mm -hmm. said, Oh, this is ghost. And uh, the guy's like, oh, I, I, I don't know that. I've never heard of that. And he's like, what is that? He says, it's like hymns to Satan. So, but <laughs> it's, it's funny because they actually like they what I love about Ghost is that they're really dedicated to the performance. So like, mm. if anyone doesn't know, they've got a very anti-pope thing. So they, they, they elect oh, yeah. a new pope. But what was what's really cool about about how they do it is like I, this. This is I can't remember if I saw this clip or I just heard about it. But like the lead singer comes out. So. All the other band members are anonymous. They wear these like masks. But the lead singer, he's like a different pope, a different anti-pope through different albums. Papa and stuff. Emeritus. Pa That's Papa, the yeah, Emeritus. Yeah. And he comes, he comes out to start the show. And then the clergy, which are the other band members, grab him, kicking and screaming, and pull him into the back. And like, like as if he's being murdered. And then a new pope comes out, new anti-pope. And it's like the clergy has elected this new pope. And, and it's the same singer, but he's like dressed differently. And f funny enough, um, that is, uh, uh, sorry, um, let me just share my screen again. Um, but that's actually, that was actually the inspiration for the Patreon tears on my Patreon. So I wanted oh, to the thing. yes, <laughs> so, yes, you know, yes. You've got like, that's Deacon, so good. Priest, Bishop, Archbishop, <laughs> Cardinal. And I yes. used AI imagery to, um, to get these, uh, oh. different uh, levels. And but like, of course, got, obviously... Like there's only a certain amount based, like there's only 18 archbishops because there's only 18 archbishops in the world and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the first 12 people, so I should just mention the first 12 people uh, will be canonized uh, as the first, like regard forever as canonized as the forever, first 12 disciples. For all eternity. Yeah. So you can sign up and if you have to pause or cancel your membership, that's totally cool. You'll still be the first, first 12 disciples yeah. of, uh, <laughs> of of uh, forevermore you'll podcast. be a pillar a pillar yeah. in the deep dig yeah. in the deep oh sorry i said deep dig <laughs> deep dig 
that's cool that's cool deep dicks podcast <laughs> um so so yeah third. okay so ghost is your third that's great that's that's interesting so, i like that it's number three for me but number I, three I, go no no i was going to say i mean square hammer is amazing but they've got some they have i i mean you seriously anybody who doesn't know they have to listen to the whole catalog they've got some yeah um, like it's amazing stuff he, but anyway he 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 is that song feels like a worship song. Oh, like the, man, <laughs> talking about Satan. Have you heard yeah. uh, Bible? Uh, do you know that not, song? It's no, I'm not very much sure like that, name. too. It's like, oh, yeah. yes, it's it's so weird. Um, oh, and they did it. a have you have you heard their cover of Missionary Man? No, I have to. Oh, my god, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's so, so good. So, um, You're my three. my. Th- my third favorite, and I had to put this on System of a Down. Um, right now, in my circle, they're over listened to, but I just love the Armenian metal folk mix that they got going on. I love System of a Down. Yeah. What are and they it's, called? It's, I don't know this. Uh, System of a Down. System of a Down. Do you not know, know System of a Down? No. No, you wouldn't know wow. them. You would no. I'm surely you know them. Are they? How old are they? Because I'm like, um, I'm like almost fifty. Hang on. System of a Down. You'd know them. Down. Like I, th- I think so. Um, they're if I heard them, I'd know them. The this band. They're really they're like oh man, if you haven't heard them, they like blend oh, wow. like Armenian. They blend Armenian folk with like metal, and with they're metal. just really heavy and Wicked. bizarre. And it looks Rob, amazing. Rob Ribbon produced them, and yeah, oh. the the Serge Tankins leasing. It's it's they're great. Yeah. Okay. I think you should check them out. Oh, I'm glad I've I given am, you something to check I am out. Pulling that up on my Spotify now. Listen to the album Toxicity. Oh. Okay. It, it's right. why it's weird. So, it's really wild and weird. That was number three, right? Yeah. What's number two? Uh, so number two. Number two is uh is uh, another band that I didn't discover until I went away uh to Norway. Uh and this is one that uh that all my Finnish friends caught me on. Uh, and that is uh, the Finnish band Amorphous. Amorphous. Do you know them? No, I don't. Oh, man. So actually, I, I they're so good that um, the, the single from their last album, uh, Moon, uh is something that uh i don't remember if i if i shared it with dr josh or or mentioned it to him but uh but he liked it so much that he apparently listens to it all the time now so these guys i have to say this about these guys so uh they're from finland um they have produced what is in my opinion one of the most fantastic uh metal epics of all time it is a three album set of uh songs that is all based on the calavella which is the uh the collection of uh of norse uh creation epics and mythology oh wow and they 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 built three full albums uh based on the calavella and it is it's incredible. Um, so one of the songs 
which is called Sky Forger, um, is is about um, um, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? He's the the great hammerer who uh, who built the sky. Basically, it's it's a it's a creation song. Um, it's the title track for their album, Sky Forger. Uh, but this is a song that I actually use. Uh, I introduced the, 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 uh, well, I guess it's the fifth lecture in my, uh, in my, uh, uh, course on Israelite religion. I introduce it with this song, um, as a way to, uh, talk about, uh, creation imagery. So. It's uh, the, the, actually it's yeah, it's in there still because I haven't taken these down yet. Um, if you go down to Cosmos, yeah, 3.1. Yeah, there it is. 3.1. It should just be called. Yeah, this one. So nice. I remember hearing some metal bands at the start of some of your um, your stuff. There's always um, metal at the start of my stuff. Oh, nice. <laughs> so sorry i just saw this i didn't know that you did a video on uh david a folk um oh you didn't no he has <laughs> he has lovely breasts that man um <laughs> so uh, uh, if anyone doesn't get that joke i I'm, I'm glad um so cool cool all right so your third is amorphous i'll have to check them out i haven't no that was before. that was number two. Oh, so number two sorry number two we're on number two now me yep okay <laughs> <laughs> my, my my number two, uh, and this is a toss up between. If it, you see, I feel like they should be number one, but then I also feel like the other band should be number one. Number two for me is Slipknot. Like Slipknot oh, is yeah. number two, and I think it's just because there was a there was a while where I really hated my job. Really, really hated my job. I was driving to Brisbane every uh, every day to do um, <laughs> drafting, and I I'm just so bad at like finer detail kind of stuff, and I was just so. And my, my boss was being like at the time was being a real a real dick. He's left the company, so if anyone from my works, you know, we all we all think he's a dick now. Anyway, and I remember just listening over and over again to um, "People Equal Shit" um, by Slipknot, and it made me feel okay. <laughs> and so that's then and and they're um you know I've got one of the I've got their whiskeys uh the the I mean, oh. Corey's, Corey's sobers, but I got one of their whisk the the um the Iowa whiskey and um. And wow. I, uh, the rule is I have to be listening to Slipknot when I drink it, and it's only for special occasions. So I listen to Slipknot and I'll have some, and yeah, it's good, good stuff. So that's my number two. Sorry, the dogs are okay. barking. That's okay. Um, all right, number, number one. one. No one's surprised. It's the granddaddies of them all. It's Iron Maiden. So, and they will the always be the number dark. one. They will always be number one. What's so, your favorite album? Oh God! Uh, <laughs> it uh, it is probably Power Slave. Power, okay, uh, like, yeah. The uh, two minutes to I midnight on that Slave. one. What's that? Two minutes to midnight. Yes. Is that got? Is it? Yeah, uh, that's. Yeah, that's on that one. Uh, I believe. Uh, I believe Wicker Man is on that album. Oh, you know what? Actually. Uh, I, I think it's underappreciated, but but uh, another one that I love of their albums is uh, is Brave New World, which yeah, was yeah. which was like their big comeback album. I thought yeah. was phenomenal. All right, so, and the they and they, they was... uh... 
Sorry, what was that? The, <laughs> the first album I ever bought. We're both waiting for each other. The first album I ever bought was uh, Fear of the Dark. And um, Oh, yeah. And it was funny, yeah. actually, because as a Christian, I believe the wor um, words have the power of life and death. And so I didn't want to actually say, I didn't actually want to sing along to Fear of the Dark. <laughs> so I changed it to Fear of the Duck. So I used to say, Fear of the Duck. <laughs> Fear of the duck, because I thought, well, yeah. if I if I actually do get fe fear of the duck, it's not going to affect my life too much, you know. Yeah, no. it's fear of the there duck. There you go. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, so, so have you ever seen them? No, no. I'm, oh, I don't man. think I've seen any metal bands to be honest. I'm not a big oh, really? show kind of person. Well, oh. I, I never used to be, but I, I'm trying to become that kind of person. Someone, uh, A Train, um, super chat of two dollars. Thank you, A Train, so much. I really appreciate any super chats. Does Kip Davids listen to? Uh, does Doctor Kip listen to Slipknot? occasionally yes yeah okay cool so it doesn't it doesn't make it into the into the regular orientation a lot but yeah mm. i just love that i think so, i just appreciate the artistry in slipknot like i, I appreciate oh, yeah. bands that that have like a like a law and that really plays into my first band which is um you mentioned them before my first band and probably tired well it's very hard to put them as number one but right now they're number one and if it, if it wasn't for their um, song um, Deutschland, it wouldn't be number oh one. Oh my god! Eh? Ramstein, Ramstein yes! is my favorite. Yes, yeah, yes. And it's just they're just they're, that is a phenomenal so cool. song. Yeah, it's just so I just think so much. I mean, everybody is it just me? I, I I feel like everybody the first Ramstein song everybody ever heard was Du Hast. Yeah. Was it? Uh, but the, the one I the one I love, Firefly. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I think that's my favorite. And the and the video for that one is 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 fucking amazing as well. They're I just, feel like that's just... like I I feel like that's a band uh, that that's a live show um, that could potentially kill you, Romstein. I feel <laughs> like, like a live show. Like yeah. survival like, is optional. Yeah, yeah. That's so that true. One. Uh, Chat GTP said, when I first heard Master of Puppets, I couldn't understand the words. I thought it was saying bastard, bastard, get off your ass um, and get plastered. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. So, so um, that actually, so no, what, what do you want to do next? Because, well, well, we're, we're thirty minutes, thirty-four minutes in, um, and we're definitely we. I wanted I wanted to start with the metal bands because you know to get us like in the zone yeah. and you know and talking you know now we're going to move into some scholarship, but okay, hopefully with a bit of uh, you know, we're drunk, so well I'm I'm definitely feeling it. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's we can go back to metal bands throughout and and can okay. keep talking about them, but. Yeah, I, I was gonna ask you because I um, did. I did promise on Twitter. I promised people that uh, that I would I would talk about the five yeah. best Christian metal bands of all yeah, time. Yeah, no, let's do and that. These are Actually, not the, so. These are not the cheesy ones, guys. Okay, I guarantee you that none of these bands suck. There okay. are a lot of Christian metal bands that suck, <laughs> but these ones don't. Do you want to do that? Okay. Now yeah. Let's wanna, let's wanna let's do that. Let's do that. Let's okay. do that now. All right. So, um, and I I think and again because I'm a because I'm a weirdo, uh, Striper isn't on this list, and I love oh. Striper. I, I don't still know Striper, I love Striper. People are posting it. Yes, I love Striper. I 
I have to keep saying that. I, I do have to say, um, so my brother and I, uh, when we were, well, I, I would have been like 12, 13 years old when Soldiers Under Command came out, the, which was their second album after the Yellow and Black Attack, um, mm -hmm. came out and, uh, and we didn't buy our own albums. My brother and I, we always, we always bought albums together and we shared I had a really good brother. He was like mm -hmm. super nice to me. Um, so we shared. Uh, but uh, when this album came out, we were so excited about it and we were anxious to get it. So we told my mom that she should go and uh, pick it up for us because we really wanted it. So we gave, you know, we, we said, you know, we've got money for this. Can you please, 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 please go buy this because we can't get down to you know, the Christian bookstore um, until like Saturday and it's mm. Tuesday. And so mm. she's like, okay. And, uh, and then uh, we came home and we were super excited and she, you know, she was mad. <laughs> she bought the album and it was vinyl. It was a, it was a white vinyl uh, striper, uh, limited edition white vinyl striper soldiers under command i still have it it's in the basement um i should have pulled those out i got so much great striper vinyl but um <laughs> okay. i uh sh we had to sit down and listen to my mother give us like a 40 minute lecture about these like super effeminate looking guys in their <laughs> spandex and uh you know so i don't know what, these what guys the are hell doing. i'm gonna google so striper. you don't know striper oh man no. but you gotta so it, it's gotta be it's gotta be the 80s striper there you go uh the yellow and black the yellow and black stuff oh yeah <laughs> and this is a this is a christian metal band there it is yes this is probably the most successful christian heavy metal band of all time Oh well, wow. look and at And they the... are they are amazing. I mean they are Christ, so Christ. so good. That's so good. That's <laughs> and they amazing. used to so they used to they at their at their concerts, they actually they actually printed their own special um like little New Testaments that had like the band logo on the front and they would, you know, bring <laughs> stacks of these out at the end of the concert they would like throw them into the audience. <laughs> New Testaments I, for everyone. I love uh it's like a Trump signed Bible or a Benny Hinn signed Bible that you can get for like 500 bucks. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. No, the striper Bibles. Um, those were free. That's so cool. That's cool. That's cool. Uh okay, so yeah, give us your top give us your top 5 okay. or like My top listen. 5 and I'm going to start at the uh, I'm going to start at the bottom here, okay? Um, number 5 for me is and, and people have to bear with me because i'm an old guy okay so like lots of this stuff is pretty old uh yeah. number five is a uh a metal industrial band called circle of dust oh number I know them do you know really they're phenomenal the so just so everyone knows there is a little there there is a track of circle of dust in the uh in the uh uh intro and conclusion music to my uh dead sea scrolls oh, unapologetically okay. series oh, so okay. circle of dust okay number four is is actually a more recent band but 
I think they kick ass, and that is uh, the very terribly named Theocracy. Theocracy. Do you know them? No. Oh, yeah, they're good. They're very, very good. So. Wow, they, okay. There they are. Cool. So they, wow. they, uh, in their, um, yeah, it was, I think it was in their last, no, not their last album, in their, uh, the title track for, uh, as, no, as the, the, the album As the World Bleeds, the opening track of it is called Yahweh, and it's a 12 minute song, and it's, it's beautiful. It it's seriously, true. seriously beautiful. <laughs> so that's number four. Number three, uh, they used to be called uh, Mortification back in the 80s, but then they made it big <laughs> in yeah. the 90s and went under the name Betrayal. And oh, uh, they made, okay. I think they made three albums with Roadrunner. Uh, phenomenal. Excellent band. Um, so, and, and some of, some of Betrayal's guitar tracks will show up here and there in, uh, in my videos as well. My, um, Tower of Babel video features, um, uh, Plead the Blood, uh, by Betrayal. So number two, yeah. in my opinion, uh, the, probably the most phenomenally talented, christian band any christian band ever okay and that is believer i don't even know of these no. <laughs> so you need to listen to everybody needs to listen to two albums by believer and that is sanity obscure and dimensions okay so they actually, dimensions was was their big uh, breakout album like into mainstream uh, and it didn't take but they actually got a they got a review like a, a full proper review in heavy metal magazine and the reviewer when when the album came out was like falling all over himself about how amazing this album was but then super pissed that nobody was going to notice because uh, because yeah. of this super obscure uh little christian band but i kid you not you've got to go listen to those two albums sanity obscure and dimensions and you can find you can find them on spotify you can find them on on youtube even if you if you need to so but the number one for me the big daddies uh is a band and i don't even know if they i i mean i i always thought i always thought they counted as a christian band um but then they, you know, uh, released songs like The Bastards Will Pay. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, I, I still, I still think they qualify. Uh, and that is, uh, one of the great pioneers of doom metal, uh, who were formed already way back in 1979 before there ever okay. was a striper. Uh, and that is Trouble. Um, so they, they, they have, uh, they, they have a discography that basically spans the 1980s and most of the 1990s. Uh, the, the, 
the early stuff is is pretty amazing. The production values are very poor, though. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, but the uh, they they had uh, two um, they they did two albums on uh, it was either Metal Blade or Roadrunner, and that was um, uh, a self titled album just called Trouble, uh, and then another one called Manic Frustration which is which is still one of my favorite albums i think of all time so that's that's, that's good a, christian metal okay well i i have a list of christian metal that i'll quickly flick through this is this is my right. top top so first up we have so are the these type... go what are you saying no no okay are these good bands or are these this, no. so i'll i'll call qualify so this okay. band, Disciple, <laughs> they were good. I thought they were good, but I don't know if they'll. No, they're not very good now. But they, but they were they, they were cool because they they re, they literally just they really were like the, the God stuff was right in your face. They had like altar calls at the end of the album and oh, all yeah. stuff like. Yeah. But they were cool, cool. Um, as they dying, they're they're okay. Oh I yeah. Think. Um, I although the lead yeah. the lead singer um did as as he was a Christian band, the lead singer did get in trouble for soliciting a hitman to kill his wife so he went to jail for that uh praise christ um demon hunter demon hunter is oh, yeah. a really cool band yeah and just their album covers i remember i remember the the church uh one of the church ladies got in for our church bookstore and she's like is this really christian she's like trying to ask me she's like i got it from kurong but it doesn't look very christian i'm like no i'm like see it's a it's a demon with a bullet in its head see it's been killed so and that makes like, it oh, good okay. right yeah, yeah that's yeah, what jesus yeah. would do jesus yeah. would would shoot bullets right through the demons yeah so the, some of their songs are amazing and i see some people um you know a train demon hunters of bass yeah they're cool of course for me under oath can't talk about can't not talk about under oath i am will go against the grain nice. here and say that i liked their album uh disambiguation more than any of their other albums especially um indivision and paper lung i think they're still an amazing band in fact i was listening to them um as i was going out to get breakfast this morning uh oh, and yeah. a, a little band that a lot of people don't, don't know of but they're really they're actually really good is becoming the archetype this christian metal band. i've never and, heard of them they're just they're they're very uh they're cool they're cool they're oh, very cool. they're dark they're they're they're, me they're like epic they're kind of like um oh my gosh do you know what i just realized hmm. too i forgot to mention one of my this would probably beat out one of the top five and i didn't even have them in my <gasps> top five metal bands in flames in flames especially their one. older stuff oh yeah in flames wow. they're like um yeah they're you feel you feel like you're on you're on like when you're listening to the music it sounds it kind of sounds like it's like it's got the real like rah, 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 like it's not the, yeah, yeah. it's hard to like you know the death metal but you uh at the same time you feel like you're on top of like a castle fighting a dragon with your like a unicorn and a, you know like it's just it's yeah, really yeah. like medieval epic kind of stuff i like it especially the album um uh uh oh, i forgot forgot the album that's not uh anyway anyway like, I'll, I'll find it in a sec but, but anyway that so they're, they're my five top christian albums and I, what does everyone think is uh is everyone, <laughs> does anyone else did we miss any did we miss any let us know if we missed any yes uh, let us know i'm sure uh, i missed oh, them all nitty thank you oh, for yeah remember i really appreciate go, that nitty. well i guess uh, that means that 
Oh no, we've actually got only we only got seven spots left because I saw that oh, wow. we had another we had digital Hammurabi sign up as well. So um, seven spots left. Thank you, Nidhi. You're actually going to give really him a spot. Though? I mean, digital Hammurabi. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because I'll probably ask him to do some behind the scenes content and then for the patron <laughs> and his <laughs> anyway. Um, he's a, I, I love I love uh, we love you, Josh. Josh and Megan. We love you. Oh, both. of course. Aren't they just, yeah, I'm so. just, I'm, I'm obsessed with those two. So, um, so we've spent like, like almost an hour talking yeah, about heavy metal. I, the, <laughs> I, I hope I, everyone, I do Dead Sea Scrolls people. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I wanted to, there's part of me that really wanted to kind of like get into the Dead Sea Scrolls stuff, but I was having yeah, such yeah. great time with the uh, metal stuff. Okay. So, so now we're going on from dead metal to Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. What a transition. <laughs> what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Can you give us a short introduction about what they are? Yeah, absolutely. So the Dead Sea Scrolls are a very large collection of ancient Jewish manuscripts, um, which belonged, which appear to have belonged to a group of uh, elite ascetic Jews who were living out in the wilderness uh, just south of Jerusalem and were waiting for the end of the world. While they were waiting, um, they read a lot and they probably also wrote a lot. And as a result, uh, we have this collection of almost a thousand uh, identifiable manuscripts. Uh, so comprised of tens of thousands of fragments, as you, I don't know if you can see um, on the screen behind me, I'm actually in, at the moment, um, working on a uh i i'm reviewing a a master's thesis which is all about unidentified aramaic fragments from one of the caves wow. so it's it's literally it's like that uh tiny little fragments individual little pieces with with uh bits of writing on them um and scholars have been working for uh over 70 years now at at piecing this this huge collection uh together so the the scroll fragments were discovered in 11 caves in a one and a half kilometer radius of uh, one another and in very close proximity of this of the ruins of a settlement uh, that we call Qumran. Um, it's just uh, south west of Jericho, uh, maybe five or ten kilometers. I'm gonna get that wrong. Um, right on the uh, uh, western shore of the Dead Sea. And uh, yeah, this this site, this settlement was active for uh, the first century BC and uh, most of the first century CE before uh, the Romans came and basically uh, demolished the place on their way from Jerusalem uh, to Masada uh, in 70. So that's what the Dead Sea Scrolls are. And they're really important. Or was this going to be your next question? No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Well, pretty much is. Yeah. Um, so, the, so go ahead. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I was just going to ask, like, so what's the significance of them in regards to? So I, I know that the, you know, what I learned in ministry college is they actually prove the Bible's real, like, or, or factual. Oh yeah. <laughs> so totally. yeah. So, so what is uh? But but from a more historical, and of course there 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 are some arguments there that that you know these these Old Testament scriptures haven't changed. Um, you know that because because as far as I remember, is is it the Dead Sea Scrolls? They were they were some of our, they, they are our earliest manuscripts of the, of the Hebrew Bible. Is that right? Uh, for that... most of the Hebrew Bible, yes. So, okay. um, the reason, so these were, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered uh, mostly between 1947 and 1953. And um, one of the reasons that they are so significant is uh is because prior to the discovery of the dead sea scrolls for the old testament the old testament was written in hebrew um we had copies quite a few copies of uh of the old testament that was transmitted by christians in greek uh after like the third fourth century lots of codices and fragments as well we had a handful of of fragments of the septuagint the greek translation of uh, the Old Testament that stretched all the way back to the first or the second century uh, BC, but we didn't have a lot. Um, there were no uh, Hebrew manuscripts almost of any of the Old Testament. If you've watched um, my uh, new series, uh, The Dead Sea Scrolls Unapologetically, you'll learn that prior to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the most important Hebrew manuscripts was a small a piece of part, uh, papyrus measuring about 10 centimeters by 20 centimeters called the Nash papyrus. And it dated back to about the first century BC. And it contains texts of uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy uh, chapter five, uh, which is uh, the two versions of the 10 commandments, or I should say two of the versions of the 10 commandments. So, but this is it, right? there was this, this huge gap from like the Nash papyrus and it's just this one fragment. It has just these, this handful of texts on it written in Hebrew. Uh, there's this huge gap of about a thousand years before you get to uh, things like the Aleppo Codex or the Leningrad Codex, which were, you know, complete Hebrew manuscripts of the Old Testament. Uh the Dead Sea Scrolls, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, what was so remarkable about them was that suddenly we have literally dozens and dozens of copies of just about every single book that appears in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. And this was uh, this was very exciting for mm -hmm. uh, many Christians, many evangelical Christians in large part because the belief was that these provide validation about the stability of the textual transmission uh, from this, this period prior to uh, Jesus and contemporary with Jesus all the way up through the Middle Ages and to what survives in the Aleppo Codex or the Leningrad uh, Codex, which is the text that all uh modern translations are based upon so it was it was an incredibly uh significant find um 
in that we found, as I said, there's there's literally dozens and dozens of copies of texts from the Bible. There's you know copies of books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Genesis, First and Second Samuel, Exodus. Um, you know the twelve prophets. They're all in there. The only thing that was not in the Dead Sea Scrolls from uh, our collection of the Old Testament is the book of Esther. And the reason mm. Esther was not discovered was the, the, they didn't, the, the people who collected this literature, the reason they didn't care about Esther is because they were, they were super fanatical about the calendar, uh, properly recognizing the, the calendar for, which for them was a solar calendar, as opposed to the more uh, commonly recognized Jewish lunar calendar. Um, but they were also really, they had a really big heart on for festivals, um, but certain festivals. And they did not celebrate Hanukkah, and they did not celebrate Purim, uh, and which, which is why uh, there was no Esther and there was no Maccabees in the, uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. But what's really interesting is that on top of biblical texts or so-called biblical texts, I mean, the biblical texts only comprise maybe at the most uh, 15 to 20% of the whole collection. Whoa, really? Yeah. So what's, what are the... What else is in there? Yeah, what else is in there? Oh, so... What else could be... Because uh, remember, remember Jesus said if everything, if everyone wrote down everything <laughs> that he did in his life, it would fill every book in the world. So I imagine... That's right. That if they, yeah. Um, wow. So... So, so two, two questions. There's, there's nothing Christian in there, is there? It's only the Hebrew no, Bible, right? Yeah. Just the Hebrew Bible. Just... There have been there have been suggestions. There was uh, uh, um, I'm gonna get his first name wrong because you know the rye is flowing. Yeah. Uh, but there was a scholar by the name of Carmignac who um, who suggested that there was uh, there was some some of the Greek fragments. Uh, there's a very small. Uh, um, number of uh, fragments of Greek manuscripts. Um, I should say that too. Most of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls are written in Hebrew, but there's a whole lot that are written in Aramaic, and there's a very there's a, a handful that are written in Greek. Um, almost all the Greek manuscripts came from one cave, and that's Cave Seven. And um, I think there's there's still some questions to be answered as to whether or not this is even part of the same collection. Or if this mm -hmm. is just a happenstance thing, right? Proximity of the rest of it. So it just sort of mm -hmm. got lumped in together with it. Um, so one of the fragments that came out of Cave uh, 7, a scholar by the name of Carmignac, attempted to reconstruct it and, and suggested that this was a very, very early copy of the Book of Mark. Um, this has been demonstrated to uh, be false. It's uh, Swift C is correct. It is uh, almost probably First Enoch. Um, so, but that's that's it. I will say though that one of the remarkable things about uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls is the amount of um, information uh, that it provides with regards to the background of Christianity. One of the things that we see in the collection are um, 
you know, ideas about the uh, apocalyptic ideas and messianic ideas in particular that look very, very similar to the sorts of things that you read uh, throughout the New Testament. So uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls have been incredibly helpful to New Testament scholars for helping to uh, ground uh, the uh, this idea of Jesus as an apocalypse as an apocalyptic Jewish prophet, uh, because suddenly lots of these things that 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 appear throughout the New Testament, which at once were thought to be novel, are actually you know reflected in the writings of this uh, this Jewish community that we identify as the Qumran Essenes. Um, there's been questions as to whether or not Jesus or perhaps even John the Baptist were members of the Essenes or of even, even knew this community at Qumran. I don't think we can go that far, but what I think uh, we can say is that lots of the, the, the so-called non-biblical, and we can get into that, the so-called non-biblical writings uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, certainly reflect a, a zeitgeist uh, with which a, a sort of a, a, a milieu of, of thinking that uh, that early Christianity and, and in particular the movement of Jesus would have fit seamlessly into. So um, they've been called uh, the most important discovery, the most important uh, manuscript discovery of the 20th century uh, and i i think that is that is uh not an exaggeration uh yeah. they they shifted uh from a text critical perspective they shifted our entire knowledge base about the hebrew text of the old pet testament back a thousand years or more whoa whoa right whoa. and then they've provided uh this window into first century judaism um one of the, the the really neat things about about the dead sea scrolls is that while this was a collection of literature that belonged to a group of jews we identify as the essenes they also provide information about other jewish groups as well they were they were in this this fierce um uh they were fiercely critical of the pharisees for example and we mm. see we we see this dialogue that they had you know with the pharisees intact preserved uh within Whoa. the dead sea scroll we know that I... this group was disenfranchised from uh the jerusalem temple establishment which was controlled by the sadakites or the the sadducees so within the dead sea scrolls manuscripts we see reflections of the you know, snapshots really of uh, Sadducean thinking and theology, but, you know, from the perspective of one of their opponents. So, it, I mean, it, it's just, it's it's a treasure trove of information the, about the Bible, about the New Testament, about Christianity, about about Jesus. I, I have I have a bunch of um, questions about that, um, but I first want to read out D, D's um, comment. 
What does Dr. Kibb think of Biblical Archaeology Review? I've subscribed for many years and find they are surprisingly unbiased and will point to archaeological finds that contest biblical record. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's a very, it's a very, very good publication, I think, uh, in particular for lay people. It's easily the best publication of its kind, popularizing, um, quote unquote, biblical archaeology. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was founded and for years it was edited by Herschel Shanks. Um, and, uh, he was an interesting guy. Uh, I know <laughs> that more recently it was um, it was the the editor in chief of the biblical archaeology the biblical archaeology review was um, was Robert Cargill who was excellent. I'm not sure if he's still in that position anymore or not, but uh, by and large, uh, there's a lot of good stuff in uh, biblical mm. archaeology review. Now, having said that. Uh, there are times when you'll encounter an article um, or an editorial that that tends towards uh, something that is that is a little bit more confessional. Um, but a lot of that has to do with uh, with the fact that that a huge number of the uh, the subscriber base for Bar B A R is uh, is this. Uh, yeah, like the, um, this group, Christian right? Eventual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, D, for the super chat. That's a that's a very Thank generous you, super chat. I really appreciate it. Um. Uh. So so okay. So, um, you've got big brain, like your big bottle of whiskey. I've got small brain, small bottle of whiskey. Um. When uh, so I'm just going to try and rephrase a lot of what um you said. So are you saying that that there are groups um in so so you're saying that like the 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 texts show that some of the things that we thought about Jesus that were novel, so like um, I don't know his apocalyptic style of preaching or, or, or whatever it is. Like, can you maybe go into detail about like what do we think was novel about Jesus until we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then so what does that say about Jesus um, once we know that what he was doing wasn't super novel? I mean, I imagine that there yeah. wasn't too many people who were being resurrected um or was there not that but i I, there were a lot i would say there that it wasn't all that uncommon what jesus was doing was not all that uncommon and what jesus was preaching was not all i i'm I'm talking about the historical jesus here yeah yeah what he was preaching was 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 right within the uh within the the jewish milieu uh, the Roman Palestinian Jewish milieu. There were we know of uh, a good number of failed Jewish messiahs who look, I would say, um, very much like what the historical Jesus looked like. Now, getting to the historical Jesus is a little bit more challenging because it's under layers of you know um, post Pauline Christian tradition. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's another that's another story. Oh, it depends uh, so if you talk about Mythicist or not, as well. Uh, yeah, we won't talk yeah. to them. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, um, so uh, I'll give you an example. Um, so, in um, there's a story. Uh, I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke. 
it might be in in all the synoptics but i know for sure it's in luke there's a story of uh john the baptist uh he goes to prison and when he's in prison uh he dispatches some of his followers to go and ask jesus um are you the one that we've been waiting for or should we go should we you know forget about you and go and look for someone else and jesus says to john's followers respond to john and tell him this uh the blind are receiving sight uh the uh the deaf are hearing again the lame are walking the uh the dead are rising and the uh the poor are having the good news preached to them what he's basically doing is he's he's conflating uh a series of individual prophecies out of different parts of the book of Isaiah together in his he's giving a non-answer He's well, it is an. I mean, it's like, it, you he's tell, basically you tell saying, me. yeah, he's saying yeah. yes, right? Or the yeah. implication is yes, because the implication is all these things are happening, mm. right? Yeah. But he couches it as any good rabbi would, um, in first century Judaism within this cryptic um, set of scriptures, uh, something rabbis still do, uh, <laughs> and I have some stories about that, but. Um, <laughs> okay. So he he couches it in this in this this cryptic collection of individual prophecies from different parts of the book of Isaiah, and there was a time that New Testament scholars looked at that and said that's novel, right? That this this way of conflating these materials out of the book of Isaiah, we don't see this in the Mishnah, which is the later uh, collection of um, materials. From the rabbis which were put together sometime after the second century uh we don't see it there um it's hard to it's hard to fit all these individual little bits of scripture together um you know from the book of isaiah itself we don't see it in other known texts of you know from judaism that we have things like ben sira or first enoch or jubilees um so this looks novel uh one of the remarkable finds in the Dead Sea Scrolls was a manuscript uh, labeled 4Q521. And what that means, the Q means Qumran. Um, I'm making mm -hmm. a Q with my fingers very badly. That's not a, that's not a, yeah. It's not a Q, is it? I don't know what this is. Um, so, well, that's also, um, isn't that the, isn't that, isn't that the symbol for us? Okay. It's not like the white nationalist symbol as well. Like, okay, it's okay know. to be white or something. I don't, I don't know. know, man. God. So be careful. <laughs> be careful. Yeah. Terrible things um, happen when you drink. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. Okay. So, so it came from. Uh, I'll just. I'll just. I'll just spell this out for you. So this manuscript is the 521st identifiable manuscript from this one cave, Cave Four, which was the fourth cave discovered. So it's 4Q521, um, and in it is in Hebrew a a collection of the exact same verses that uh, oh no we're gonna get canceled aren't we <laughs> yeah so it's a collection of the exact same verses that jesus uh uh repeated to uh john the john the baptist disciple so what this shows to us is that he is speaking the language and he's right within the uh 
like the the, the parlance within the within the religious uh, milieu of his people of his period. It's it's I would say it's actually quite strong uh, support for you know historical roots to this movement, whatever they were. I think they were quite Jewish. Um, yeah. So I mean that's that's one thing. There's a whole bunch of other stuff too, but you know that's just I, one example. I do remember that um, that like I, I remember I don't know I'm tr I've been trying to find it and if someone knows what well, I'm I've mentioned this a couple times now, but the, I remember reading somewhere like some philosophy that was older than Jesus that referenced the love of money is the root of all evil, and I was like, what? And I was like, I thought that was a like a like an mm. original Jesus quote, right? But um, apparently it's not. Um, well, I'm still looking into that. If anyone has the answer to that, because like, yeah, that's it's it's wild. There's a lot of um, you know, this isn't super your realm of expertise, but there's a lot of um, like Platonic ideas in the Christian literature. Is, is that is that right? Or um, yeah, I don't know. Are you, are you do, uh, probably. I would assume you're so. Do, you're but do you know, Josh when I was when I was when I was a, when I was a third year. When I was a third-year PhD student, I bought my copy of uh, of Nestle Allen 27th edition, which is a, a Greek New Testament. Um, my uh, my doctor father looked at me with a uh, with with an expression of extreme disappointment and said to me, "What are you doing with that? So why are you reading?" <laughs> okay, but so I um, don't. Yeah, I. Uh, but so I one I, I wanted to say one more thing. Maybe maybe one of the most famous uh things that that is attributed to jesus is the sermon on the mount the beatitudes mm -hmm. they're in the dead sea scrolls really as reference to jesus or no as no. a collection of uh of wisdom sayings sorry wait <laughs> the, the most famous so, what so, hang on sorry hang on i'm just trying to how much whiskey have I drunk? Did I just heard you? So you're saying that one of the most famous like preachers by Jesus, there's record of that before Jesus's time. Yes. No. Yeah. Really? So yeah, but that's, I didn't, I mean... I didn't learn that in ministry college. <laughs> what? No, <laughs> really? I'm shocked. I tell you. <laughs> Um, wow. That's, that's, that's crazy. Um, yeah, that's blowing my mind, but um, it's super exciting too. Um, I think it's super exciting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's one of these things that it may, you know, it, it helps. I think it helps us to understand Jesus quite a bit, but it, it certainly helps us to understand that the people who wrote and put together the new Testament, um, were drawing from like, jewish source material like they were right there within the guts of uh of uh of early judaism mm. so you know it's uh you know it's interesting albert schweitzer who um was a very famous uh new testament scholars in the in the 1920s and the 1930s uh really pushed the idea he's sort of the the father of the um excuse me, the historical Jesus movement. And he's the one who really pushed this idea of Jesus as a, as an apocalyptic Jewish uh, prophet. Um, and he was writing in the 1930s. And then um, after the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, it was just like, 
yeah like schweitzer was right about all this stuff i i i feel um, i'm with um stacy here and i'll be on uh stacy's podcast this week um so yeah, everyone look out for that that'll be a good one but um I I'm with Stacy in that. Like I, I feel like I need to go and sit down and like and like re re-examine my whole perspective. Cause even like I'm, you know, I, I don't I'm a non-theist. I don't I don't subscribe to the idea of, of God anymore. But yeah. that's incredible that Jesus that the Beatitudes were were in the Dead Sea Scrolls, or at least I should probably I need to qualify that a little bit in that it's not a like it's not a carbon copy. Yeah, yeah, um, of course. But it's you know, when you read when you read the uh, the the Hebrew collection, which is in the the manuscript, is called four Q, which means it came from K four four Q Beatitudes. It's in the four hundreds there somewhere, um, and I think there's there's six or seven of them. They're, these are all very fragmentary, right? So we don't have we have almost no complete manuscripts. We have a few, um, but most of them are just like fragments um so there's there's like six or seven of these uh yeah there you go um you see i don't nice. know if anyone on the website i feel like i don't i feel like most of us here wouldn't read hebrew so you could just be telling us like oh yeah star wars is in there um yeah okay um i did want to shout out uh too as we, we continue this conversation we might go a little over time if that's okay um dr kill Totally um, because we spent so much time. But it's a, you saw how big this bottle is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a lot to go. Yeah. So <laughs> we can do like a little time lapse of it just like <laughs> dwindling down. Um, so we have had three new patrons, um, which I'm oh, so wow. surprised at. Aaron Aaron pledged $50. Thank you so much, Aaron. That's a lot. And thank you so much, Dee, for subscribing and, and Nicholas and Digital Hammurabi. Uh, guys, we only have like... For the uh, if you want to become a saint, we've only got five spots left. I think um, I might be calculating that wrong. The whiskey's kidding me, but um, but if you want to, if you want to get if you want to become an, a canonized deep drinks disciple and help this channel, um, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, and of course, this would be a great time to mention that you also um, have a patron uh, if people want to I go do. support your work. And I mean, come on, like you have. I think someone was it Dr. Josh said like. We have like a, a bona fide Hebrew Bible scholar um, who's just like, you're just putting out work at the moment. You're, you're going on so many people's shows. And, you know, if you want to come support um, Kip Davis and uh, Dr. Kip Davis and help him, uh, you know, turn this uh, into a into a full-time job, um, go support, go support him over here on Patreon and subscribe so to... If, if, I could, uh, if I could say something about this... Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm an, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm the best, um, benefactor to my patrons, uh, because we, we do, we do, uh, I do, uh, like a monthly live hangout with, uh, with my top tier and you get, uh, early access to my videos, but because they take a long time to make, I, I can usually only make one a month. Um, mm -hmm. so you're not getting a lot of that kind of stuff out of it, but something that I am doing, um, and if people are interested in this sort of thing and, and, in in supporting this kind of stuff is I am, I am an active scholar. Um, I am actively working on, uh, editions of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, for mm. publication, um, which is, is not something 
anybody is paying me for, but uh, I do because I love to do it. And if, um, you know, if you're interested in supporting real scholarship, uh, this is a good way to do it. Um, I'm going to be doing more of these sorts of projects. I'm working with some, some things with uh, uh, a good friend of mine uh, and somebody who's going to be on the uh, upcoming slavery panel, uh, Dr. Matthew Monger, the famous Dr. Mote. Uh, you know, we're doing some things together that's, that's going to produce actual uh, academic uh, content. Uh, and then, you know, this, this, the, I should say to the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls Unapologetically series, which is what I'm working on now, is a massive, massive project. It's going to take a very long time uh, and a lot of work to finish. Um, so if, if you're, you're interested in, in, in supporting something like that, uh, that's what's going on. So yeah. I've I've been devouring as you can see I've watched these two videos um yeah, I I watch it I watch it as I so I watch it I get excited because before I go to bed each night I'll I'll throw an episode on or, or one of your episodes or, or interviews with Myth oh, Vision good. and I'll I'll just um I'll watch it for about 20 minutes until I fall asleep and then I'll continue watching I'm it I'm easy to I fall asleep it. too <laughs> No it's it's uh it's whenever I find something well, interesting I yeah, if I find something interesting, that's what I do. Uh, but yeah, go sh go support. You know, we're we're um we're, you know we're all trying to um to I guess get this kind of information out there. Um, you know, you're you're doing amazing like kind of stuff, and you're an active scholar. It's awesome. Myself, I'm I'm trying to. I, I haven't really kind of communicated this enough, I, I, I guess, but I'm trying to um kind of have deep conversations and broaden people's perspectives on not just biblical scholarship and and atheism and things like that but like other perspective other religious perspectives and other things as well um and to to kind of i guess um show that we can have conversations with people we disagree with and it can still be okay um so yeah guys go support um kip davidson subscribe to his youtube channel and subscribe to this youtube channel um as we continue to kick ass with um some really cool exciting things coming up um so uh i did actually i'm wondering where we should go in this interview because there is something that has like popped into my mind that i, I really feel i want to ask you about and it's kind of a pivot and maybe we can pivot to this and pivot back to the dead sea scrolls okay but sure what are your what are your thoughts on and I, I know you have thoughts on this but what are your thoughts on the documentary hypothesis oh um so uh, the documentary hypothesis is uh, like it, it's sort of the standard model for um, how to read and interact with uh, certainly the first five books of the Old Testament. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um, but it really does also uh, provide a framework for reading uh, almost the whole uh, Old Testament. Now, I have, I know that for probably 20 years now, evangelicals have been proclaiming the death of the documentary hypothesis. Um, now, I, oh yeah, sorry, I got distracted by this. I saw the I saw the the name Doctor. He's um yeah, <laughs> d d digital Hammurabi. I just had to interrupt you there. He's he's complaining that. 
um, that we're ignoring his question. Um, I'm sorry. Um, and because you're a Patreon supporter, I'm going to bring it up. But did everyone see how these two atheists dodge my my comment about Kip's utter failure to debunk Joe, um, Dr. Joel Edmund Anderson? Brilliance. Um, Dr. Joel handed me my ass today on Twitter. It did just, he? Yeah. He Is did. he the one that it, called you a simp? No. Somebody called you a He's, simp. It, that was, okay. the, somebody called me a simp. And a retard. The same guy called me a oh, simp. Oh, well, that's not cool. And then he called me a retard. On is this Twitter that Christian? That was... Is this this Christian dude who was um, defending um, David Falk? Yeah, probably. Yeah, uh, okay. uh, yeah, we don't need to talk about him. So, yeah. Um, now, what I what I will say about the documentary hypothesis for people who don't know, um, the documentary hypothesis was was introduced by by Julius Wellhausen in German back in the uh in the 19th century and you know when you get to the to the the phd level uh of doing any biblical scholarship one of the things that i believe almost everybody has to do is read uh wellhausen in german uh his his um um geschichte oh shoot i've had too much i've had too much rye <laughs> to remember the german <laughs> title of the book um but uh but this was this was really the book that uh, the publication that that launched uh, modern critical biblical scholarship. And Wellhausen's theory, his idea was that you know there's all these. He started by looking at all these uh, what we call doublets, or in some cases triplets. These are repeated stories uh, throughout, or 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 events uh throughout the pentateuch you know um abraham uh having to uh claim that uh sarah is his sister when he enters a foreign country is something that happens twice and then it is repeated a third time with uh with um um isaac and rebecca um the uh the story of hagar and ishmael is something that's repeated twice uh, there's two creation accounts. Uh, there's two, there's three versions of the Ten Commandments. There's, um, uh, I believe there's two versions of the, uh, uh, the theophany of, uh, Yahweh to Moses. There's, you know, there's, there's all these, these repetitions of material throughout the Torah. So he, he noticed this. I, I mean, people have noticed this for a long time and said, well, that's kind of weird. Um, and people have also noticed for a long period of time that throughout, uh, the Hebrew Bible, there's, there's a number of titles that are applied to God, but the two most consistent ones are Yahweh and Elohim and, uh, Wellhausen, um, and Graf, uh, an, another German scholar formulated this really are the ones who, who wrote this up and formulated this idea that, you know, there's actually, uh, the Torah was not written by Moses, oh, um, oh. but was actually, you know, written much later um, mm. and is actually uh, compiled from four earlier documents. Uh, and he labeled these uh, first the Yahweh's document. And these are all uh, texts where the name Yahweh is revealed right away. And this is what people call God right from the time of Adam, they call him Yahweh. Mm -hmm. uh, the Elohist document 
uh, which is one where Yahweh's name is a secret until the time of Moses, and it's revealed to Moses um, mm -hmm. in Exodus. So, and then there's there's uh, material that he identified as P belonging to a priestly editor, and this is most of the book of Leviticus, but huge sections throughout the Torah, which look like editorial um, um, comments or attempts to combine uh, these earlier two sources belong to P. For example, the, the story of creation in Genesis chapter one is generally regarded as a priestly, um, a priestly, a, a part of the priestly document. Um, and then D or basically the book of Deuteronomy, which on its own is a very, very interesting book and um, is connected directly to the reforms of Josiah, the religious reforms of Josiah in, uh, I believe it's, it's uh, um, 620. I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think it's 623 uh, BCE. <laughs> so Wellhausen basically said that these, all these sources, you know, were written during the monarchy, the monarchic period, like the, the, the time from David up to Josiah and then after the Babylonian exile, they were all put together and combined into the Torah that we know. So I quite, I quite like the idea because I like how um, I think it, it provides that. Now, any theory has its issues, its problems, its, its, its drawbacks. So I'm not married to the documentary hypothesis, but I particularly like it because I think it makes the most pragmatic sense of the material that is in the Old Testament. Um, I like how how um, I like how this how you can tease out individual sources, mm -hmm. uh, I... and and make sense of of the connections between them using. The documentary hypothesis. There are other ideas too. There's there's the the supplementary hypothesis is very popular, uh, predominantly in Europe, which is this idea that there was there was an earlier core of material that just generally expanded and grew. Mm. Um, there's something called the two source theory, which is this uh, this idea that uh, there were traditions that were collected by the Northern Kingdom uh, that we know as Israel. This is all you know, during the, uh, like ninth, eighth, seventh centuries BCE and the Southern kingdom, Judah, that were kind of thrown together, uh, during the Babylonian exile. And I will say that I think that on various levels, all of these theories have it right. I think that, that, you know, there were, there was an early core material that was expanded. I think there probably were individual documents maybe four of them and i think that that some of this material you can you can tease out and separate between stuff that belong to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom so all of these ideas have lots going for them they all have merit i don't think they they all hold a monopoly on what actually happened but i think they all contribute to our understanding of what actually happened so I, Sorry, <laughs> I have this book. No, that's great. I have this book. It's uh, oh, 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 oh yeah, that's a great book. 
the Bible with sources revealed. Friedman. It was one of the, yeah. yeah, it was one of these books that I purchased with all my pocket money, put on my shelf, and never got around to reading yet. I will be reading. Oh, it. but oh, but it's uh, I got to turn this light off. So um, the um, Friedman so does got, like a like a 30, 40 page introduction there that you absolutely must read in that book about the uh about the the sources and the evidence for it but this is a fantastic book because basically what he's done is he's he's pulled apart um all the individual sources and he's color coded them uh so you can see them up the top up the top here it's got the i don't know if that's like focusing but it's got the different sources yeah and you so you can you can read you can read it in in like oh this is from this scroll and this is from this not scroll but source um Oh, it's a yeah. great book. It's a great book, and and I don't know. I mean, I tend to I tend to follow Friedman more often than not, in terms of of how I I divide the material. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the thing too, and I think people people get confused when it comes to scholarship. Is we don't all agree about everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the really important thing is to to contribute ideas that expand our understanding of the ancient world. And I mean, this is basically what I, you know, this is what Friedman is doing. You know, he's Mm. thrown this out there and he's got a, a a shit ton of good ideas about how to think about the source material. Um, Mm. And yeah, people are picking it apart. And the reason they're picking it apart is because it's damn good. Right. Mm. I mean, you don't you don't read stuff and you don't critique it unless you find it uh interesting and compelling yeah good people asked a um good people asked a good question and everyone if you super chat of course we'll answer we'll read every super chat but how fluid is the old testament text the fluidity consists of what how do they change and corrupt the text are there any forgeries and historical errors so i have to say that i think that that I've I've answered this question probably about five or six times in different streams uh, from the same guy in uh, in Indonesia, <laughs> and I don't mind doing it. It's fine. Um, I'm just a little mystified that uh, that I keep answering the same question over and over again. Um, how fluid was the Old Testament text? Uh, so right up until uh, probably the period of the Masoretes, which is like fifth century ce um like the 500s i would say Mm -hmm. quite fluid um prior to the destruction of the temple of herod i would say very fluid and by that i mean that uh there were multiple versions of the old testament text and we know this from the dead sea scrolls because one of the remarkable things that we discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls are individual copies side by side of different versions of the same book. Um, And then on top of that, there are manuscripts, there are texts that don't fit our categories of what scholars identify as scripture. So Mm -hmm. scholars have thrown out uh different names for them that like reworked pentateuch or excuse me paraphrase of uh paraphrase of kings or apocryphon of 
Jeremiah or Apocryphon of Joshua. I did my PhD dissertation on the Apocryphon of Jeremiah. So all that to say that in this period, uh, prior to the destruction of uh, Herod's temple, the second temple, <clears throat> excuse me, I should have grabbed some water. Um, but uh, prior to the destruction of Herod's temple, the text, there were all sorts of versions. There doesn't seem to have been a standard version. Everybody kind of had their own favorites. And there's so many of them that things that uh, we don't recognize today as versions probably were uh, a form of scripture, sacred scripture for some people. Uh, the fluidity consists of what? It consists of just about everything. Um, there are rewritings and there are alternative versions of just about everything in the Old Testament that survive in the Dead Sea Scrolls as well as in other early Jewish literature. How do they change and corrupt the text? In various ways. Um, scribes were uh, and readers of the texts at the time of Jesus uh, would uh, leave out things that they found inconvenient. They would clarify things that they found difficult and uh, they would expand on things that they found to be incomplete. And we see examples of all of this throughout the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, how did they change and corrupt the texts? I think corruption is a bad, I, I don't like the word corrupt because what this fails to do is this fails to appreciate really the whole program of uh, early Jewish scripture exegesis. This is just what you did with the text. If you took this text seriously as a Jew living in the first century BCE, that meant that you were constantly renegotiating it. You weren't slavishly committed to every individual letter. No, you were much more sensible than that. Mm. You took it upon yourself to use your brain and to make the text meaningful for your circumstances. Mm. So it's, they're not corruptions. They are um, honest and sincere attempts to grapple with and understand and apply the text to what's going on now. Uh, are there forgeries in historical error in antiquity? Um, forgery in the terms of pseudepigrapha, which means um, false writing. We certainly have something that we see uh, taking place uh, with regularity. And this stretches all the way back into biblical texts. I mean, we see this in the book of Deuteronomy. We see this in the book of uh, Daniel. We see this in things like the Psalms and in Lamentations and in uh, Kohelet or Ecclesiastes. There is this idea of attribution taking place where texts are deemed important enough that you're going to assign an author to them. So, for example, mm. the book of Lamentations was not written by Jeremiah. But that did not stop the uh, somebody, um, whether it was the, the Greek translator of the Septuagint or whether it was the copy of the text that he was reading. It didn't stop him from saying, this was written by Jeremiah. 
and mm. this is this is stuff that's that's the the psalms that are attributed to David weren't written by David or sung mm. by David. Somebody came along later on and said, "I think this is something that David could have said." And one of the reasons we know that is because we have this remarkable document from Cave Eleven at Qumran called the the Eleven uh, the Eleven Q Psalm Scroll A which is a collection of Davidic Psalms. Um, but, and, and it's all the ones that, that you would imagine that, that, that you know from uh, your, your, uh, your copies, your, your translations of uh, the book of Psalms in your Bible. But in addition to that, there's stuff that we've never even seen before. Hmm. Something called the Apostrophe of Zion appears in this manuscript, which is something we've never seen before. And yet this manuscript says this was spoken by David. So, um, <coughs> and in terms of historical error, yes, absolutely. And the reason for that is because most of these texts were written by people hundreds of years after the events or collected by people hundreds of years after when, when the events took place. I uh, I wanted to ask you, um, so when you're talking about forgeries, would, so I just tweeted out this, um, this is at Kip Davis and I love Nickelback, is, would that be considered a forgery? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> or would it, like, am I, because, you know, in... <laughs> I, I don't know if that's like considered a forgery or if that's like Oh a... my God. No, yeah. So that that's an obvious <laughs> forgery. You know, Nickelback came uh, from Hannah, Alberta. Eh? Did you know that they came from they no. came from a, a small little town in rural Alberta called Hannah, which is not that far away from where I grew up. You know, I've, I've but I hate about Nickelback. Putting, really, you see, I felt bad about putting Nickelback in there. I don't think Nickelback are, like there's a whole meme about it where it's like they 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 were. I guess Nickelback does not suck. (laughs) Well, Nickelback, like there are a lot of bands that suck. I think the problem was that radio stations and everyone were just shoving Nickelback and Nickelback clones down everyone's throats for so long. Yes. They're they're probably going like, guys, we're just trying to play music. Like what? Like it's, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. So I felt bad about putting Nickelback, but I couldn't think of another band that would get the meme across. You brought this up and it's your fault. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I have to say now that you did that. So I, I live in a, uh, I live in a small town just outside of Vancouver. Um, Chad Kruger, who is the lead singer of Nickelback, uh, lives in the next town over from me in Abbotsford. Um, he, uh, he built a cottage, uh, out by, uh, another small town close to me called Harrison Mills, which is close to where I used to work. Um, he doesn't own it anymore, but my wife, um, she used to work at PetSmart. You do you guys have PetSmart in Australia? We have. Is it like a pet store? We have like a pet. Yeah, we have Pet Mart, I think, and Pet Stop. Okay. <laughs> so. Americans <laughs> have PetSmart, and Canadians yeah. have PetSmart. So yeah. my wife used to work at PetSmart, and she worked at the at the Abbotsford location, and uh, she helped chad kruger um put together like 
what he like a starter kit for his uh his new puppy did he uh, and this hold up a photo in, uh... hold up a photo and say look at this photograph of the puppy or is that... <laughs> <laughs> sorry i the, the, oh the god is, if only he had <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> so um oh <laughs> Forgeries. Did you want to? Yes. Did you want to? Did you want to talk about forgeries? Yeah. Let's talk about. So you were on the team that actually discovered, or like, according to the documentary, you look like the main guy. I, were you the main guy that discovered the forgeries that were in the antiquities market for the Dead Sea Scrolls, or were you just part of the team? Or I'm probably the. You know, unfortunately for everybody, I'm probably the most public facing guy from mm -hmm. the team. Um, mm -hmm. and so, it, and it was a team effort. So I will say, uh, um, so I went to, I'll tell the, should I tell, yeah. tell the story? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, I went to Norway in, uh, 2012. And one of the things that I was doing in Norway was, uh, working on this. Whoops. <laughs> I was and that and and if anyone um, wants to purchase purchase that book they can but it is a little pricey and that's thick is though. it i don't even know that is it's a, big yeah yeah it's like 250 dollars yeah, for, in, for oh, in australia God. so, so, so everybody should know i don't get a dime from this book okay. um where did it go? Was it here? Along with where this. Um, so I went to Norway. There I am. Back when I had a haircut. Um, <laughs> Is that a fresh haircut? Because you and Joel look both. Both of you guys look like. Like you both look like. All right, we we we're, we're going on TV. We want to look our best. Like, look at that. Look, you Me look and so. Who? Uh, I think it's. Is it Joel or Joe? I there's another. I'm going to oh, get the uh, name Joel from. Baden. Yeah, in Joel the, Baden. Yeah. He's in this documentary. You know, yeah. fun, it, it's funny. We're in this documentary together. I've never met him. Oh, really? So, yeah. The I've only the, the only interaction I've ever had with him is I I tweeted out to him and I said, um, Joel Baden looks like every time he's interviewed, he looks like he's sick of the interviewers' shit, sick of um <laughs> everyone else's shit, <laughs> sick of the questions, like. And he's got resting, sick of everyone's shit face. And he li he liked it and said, "Yeah, I have a, apparently Aww, I have resting." Oh, very good. So I was like, "Cool, cool, cool." He got the he got the joke. Very I wasn't nice. being mean hearted or anything. He seems great, great guy. So, but, I'm yeah. I'm honestly a little annoyed at uh, Joel Baden because he and Candida Moss wrote this phenomenal book about. Uh, about the Green family and Hobby Lobby and the Museum of the Bible. Um, but somehow they forgot to interview me for this book. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm a little bitter about that. But um, what do you Well, you know, how, you know how YouTubers are doing like boxing matches now? Maybe we can set one up with you and Joel. Oh, um, yeah, let's do that, it. shall we? <laughs> me and Joel. Whiskey involved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. So, okay. Um, so I was in the middle of telling a story. Uh, yeah, yeah. so in 2012, I went to Norway and one of the, uh, to, to do this, uh, I was on a research fellowship at the university of Achter, which is in 
the lovely little town of Kristiansand on the southern tip of Norway. Um, and one of the projects that I was working on was the publication of that volume, the uh, Gleanings from the Caves, which is a the uh, the private collection of Martin Skoyan. Uh, he has uh, 32 supposed Dead Sea Scrolls fragments and some artifacts. He's got things like... Um, uh, I should show you this. This is actually really cool. He's got things like um, inkwells, uh, bronze inkwells in uh, that were that were found in. Um, um, oh, here's here we go. Yeah, he's got this cool thing. See that? Where is it? Mm -hmm. uh, turn it that way. There we go. Mm -hmm. That's an inkwell. It's a bronze oh, wow. inkwell. Uh, wow. I believe that one was found in um, Jordan. Uh, it's actually Nabataean. Um, but it's similar to uh, what we assume uh, they were using in Qumran. And he's got things like, uh, like this little guy here, too. Um, it's, a, uh, it's like a little, a little bronze altar. Uh, for offering incense or something from uh, I think that was I think that was first century BCE but mm -hmm. um, so he's got a bunch of stuff uh, as well as these 32 fragments supposedly from the Dead Sea Scrolls um, mm -hmm. and I was I was a postdoc uh, working in Norway at and one of the things that that I was tasked with doing was helping to publish this collection. So what that meant was I got to go over to um, Martin Skoyan's vault. It's literally a vault. It's like the walls are like a foot and a half thick or, you know, uh, 80 centimeters thick or whatever it is. Uh, and it's filled with like crazy, amazing things. Like he's got Martin Skoyan is an eclectic collector who has like one of the finest collections of early Buddhist manuscripts. He's got wow. like shelves full of folios from the Vatican. Um, he's got like antique Russian Bibles from the 13th and 14th centuries. Um, he's Whoa. got uh, like actual material culture from like Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. Uh, he has these, these amazing stone vessels, like, like cups and plates that have, they're made of stone and they're polished. And then they have embossed on them in gold leaf, uh, like the name of Cyrus, um, which supposedly came from like the royal holdings of Cyrus the Great. Like he's got... And Whoa. in addition, he's got like uh, actual letters written by uh, Beatrix Potter, who uh, uh, wrote the uh, Peter Rabbit series and actual artwork from her. And he has the draft copy, uh, the copy that J.K. Rowling actually sent to the publisher uh, mm -hmm. of the Philosopher's oh. Stone. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. wow. 
Yeah. Wow. So this is all this is all in this room, right? In this in yeah. this bowl. It's full of this shit. I love um, that the philosopher's stone is up there with like all the I other... know, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. very fitting. Yeah. Um, so and he has 32 of these fragments that we're supposed to um analyze and edit and publish. Um, so I arrived in 2012. Uh by 2013. Uh, the guy who was doing the paleography for us started to raise some concerns about the mm -hmm. way that some of the fragments looked uh, just on the basis of his analysis of the script. And from that point, um, my close colleague and good friend, Orstein Eusnes, who teaches at the University of Octor and myself, started to look much more critically at the fragments that Goyen had and started to develop and, and collect uh, like a catalog of individual scribal features that we, we thought were unusual things like letters that seem to be unusually shaped for the period in which they were written letters that appear on edges of the fragments that appear to have been like squeezed onto the fragment as opposed to have survived from a mm. larger manuscript lines of text that were out of alignment with what one another and which actually aligned with uh contours of the fragment mm. and uh very convenient uh, yeah, I was going to ask about this. Yeah, there, there wasn't there wasn't there an amazing like someone had somehow on one scroll somehow justified putting two of the anti like homosexual uh, mm. scriptures in one spot because yeah. they just knew the uh, that there would be someone out there that would want that in you know the original Hebrew. Um, oh yeah, amazing. So yeah. this was um, so this was. This was not part of the Scoyan collection, but I mean, there's a few of these Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Azusa, Pacific University, um, uh, are two institutions in particular, Museum of the Bible. These were, they were all buying these fragments in addition to Scoyan. Um, and I attended a, uh, uh, like a, like a, a, a session at the Society of Biblical Literature in San Francisco um, in 2000, that would have been 2011, uh, where Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary had like this whole panel about their fragments that they had purchased. Um, and this was one of the fragments. It's, it's four lines, and they're four lines from Leviticus, chapter 18 and chapter 22 these these passages about you know how terrible homosexuality is but the remarkable thing is of it is that the first two lines on the fragment are chapter 22 and the latter two lines are chapter 18 so they're like in a different order yeah. right and it's clearly like if you think that this is an ancient fragment you're your interpretation at the outset is that this is a this is a collection of something like proof text or something, right? Mm. Which, right away, if you know anything about early Judaism, you think, well, that's just utterly ridiculous. <laughs> because why on earth would a why on earth would a first century Jew put together like proof texts about homosexuality? 
<laughs> yeah. in Judea. Like it just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Um, mm. But the uh, when Southwestern Baptist purchased this particular fragment, which was back in uh, 2010, um, they said, and this is this is published in an article by um, um, uh, Estrin. Uh, he said that uh, he interviewed one of the one of the people from the team, and the guy said that they paid a lot more for this fragment <laughs> compared to the other eight fragments that they purchased, because quote, this fragment attests to an eternal truth from God's word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I. It, it it's it's funny that you say the eternal because the the uh when i promoted this stream i said um does the dead sea scrolls prove that the universe had a creator oh, right, and that was yeah. like from a this that was like question a i'm not qualified to answer. <laughs> yeah so wasn't there like a there's some someone you shared a video on twitter where it was like someone it was like this proves that god is real and i was like and i think you shared it just as like does it like but something something i found super cool about um the, the smoking gun in the in this documentary is you talk about you find these things like okay this looks this looks too suspicious and and we're not talking by the way everyone we're not talking about like you know um dr kipps in the cave and like pulls out the the the, the, the um scrolls out of the dirt and goes oh something's fishy here we're talking about an antiquities market where they're selling fragments um to people and uh and and whether or not these fragments are legitimate or not was the question in, in, that we were concerned that that they were concerned with so um you start noticing these things but the, the smoking gun for me and the thing that was really cool was the salt so because of the area uh. that that they you know you guys found these the uh, these that well not you guys sorry how long ago was it you're probably not even alive at that time it was like the 50s or something they were found or the when the original scrolls were found yeah the original yeah. scrolls were found between 1947 and 1953 maybe yeah. as late as 1960. okay yeah so you weren't like there Lord. no um no, no. i was not <laughs> but i just yeah so uh, so yeah you 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 analyze these these salt because yeah. the air had like a lot of salt in it being next to the dead sea and you know some of these salt would crystallize on the surface of those scrolls and you analyze it versus what you what we now know are, um uh, nine like forgeries and the the they put salt on they put like table salt on the yeah. um crazy yeah. right can you tell us no, something about like, that yeah absolutely oh so these are what what um david is showing you now oh look at that handsome guy um <laughs> so uh that picture oh god so it's... this this fragment here that you see this is what table salt looks like at a molecular level this is what it looks like what salt looks like naturally when it's when it's on like a, a when it when it occurs in nature and what we discovered <laughs> um so we had we had huge suspicions about a number of these fragments and my good friend uh an amazing colleague orstein useness at the university of agder he's on twitter he runs a blog um he's he heads up this amazing project about uh forgeries and digital imaging and 
manuscript provenance at the University of Augur. You guys really need to give him some love. He put together a 22-page memo um, that we all read through and signed off on, and we delivered it to Martin Scorian, basically saying, hey, guy, we've put together a list of this is the this is one of Scoyan's fragments here this is a fragment of the book of Enoch that is on uh, papyrus it's from Enoch 106 um we said hey man lots of these fragments look like they might not be authentic and here's why so this is where it all started was with this memo that Orstein put together um and what happened as a result of that is uh, Mr. Skoyan gave us permission to take, um, I think it was five of his fragments. We said that there was over 20 that we thought bore uh, features of what we, we considered to be uh, likely forgeries. But he gave us five to take to... Um, a special laboratory in Berlin to have analyzed by an amazing physicist by the name of Ira Rabin. She developed a battery of tests for the non-invasive tests for these fra fragments by which to determine whether or not these are more likely to be authentic or more likely to be forgery. Something that people need to be clear about is you cannot prove one way or the other that something is authentic or a forgery unless you have found it in situ, like you've actually dug it out of the ground yourself from yeah, yeah. You know, an archaeological um, site, right? So, but none mm -hmm. of these frag all of these fragments, you know, that's not where they came from. They they just they come with these wild apocryphal stories of having you know, been stored in a vault in Switzerland for 30 years. And all of a sudden we took them out and sold them. Yeah. So it's hmm. crazy. Um, so uh, I was actually given these fragments uh, to take to Berlin. Uh, so I flew to Berlin with these fragments to give to uh, Professor Rabin. And she worked with, uh, with another amazing uh, pepperologist by the name of Miriam Kroch. Uh, and they worked through these fragments to, and they ran them through this battery of tests to determine whether or not they were more likely to be authentic or more likely to be forgeries. One of the things they discovered, uh, so we had big, great concerns about that that papyrus fragment of Enoch that you showed because the letters on that fragment are like like they're clear, but then ink from the letters is like drifting into the fibers of the papyrus which is not something that you see anywhere in any papyrus and we're like wow that's weird um so uh and the other thing that's really interesting about this papyrus fragment as well as a number of other papyrus fragments is that they are written transversicarta which basically means when you're in antiquity, when you're writing on papyrus, papyrus is formed by, by putting together leaves, uh, like, like gluing them together, one on top of the other, but you cross hatch them so that the mm -hmm. grain of the leaf is always like you, you do one 
layer horizontally, then you do another layer vertically, then you do another layer horizontally, and you glue them together and you press them and you flatten them out. Um, scribes always wrote on the horizontal side because it provides uh, like a natural guideline, right? Yeah, yeah. All of these forgeries are written transverse carta, which basically <laughs> means that they're written on the uh, vertical side of the papyrus. And, and I figured out why. I have to say this because this was this. I figured out why. Because when you take infrared photographs of papyrus manuscripts, um, they all look like they're written vertically when they're actually not. They're written horizontally. But because of the, the light spectra, it does funny things. So yeah. in the editions of the just you know in the editions of the dead sea scrolls which contain papyrus manuscripts they all look like they were written transversa carta but they actually weren't they were written properly whoever forged these manuscripts was looking at the photographs published in the <laughs> official editions of the dead sea scrolls and went oh this is how you write on a papyrus and he got it fucking wrong <laughs> and that's how they all appear it's that's crazy. so good i love i know right I, it like it's just awesome. but to go to go to the level of like you're like hmm i'm gonna put salt on these to make sure so, so oh, the salt yeah. crystal shot so crazy okay yeah so um uh fragments that were discovered from uh the dead sea region are loaded with salt particles at a microscopic level you see these great big deposits of naturally occurring uh salts um so somebody went to the trouble of recognizing this and when he's making his forgery of a manuscript he just he literally took a salt shaker and just sprinkled table salt <laughs> on it and like table salt was was it it's refined right and it's something yeah. that was that that we only started refining in like the 1500s or yeah i think it's the 1500s so like it, it has a it has a very precise chemical composition so when our <laughs> physicists went and looked at this fragment from of enoch 106 under her microscope she's like holy fuck there's, there's table salt all over this thing and, like, and it's not like and it's not like some shaking onto a scholar was eating chips, his yeah. lunch and you know pouring table salt on it there's actually ink on top of the table salt yeah. particles on the fragment it's absolutely a smoking gun there's yeah, no it's, question uh, at all. Well, it's well. Hang on. It, it is possible that the papyrus were put in the caves, you know, for <laughs> you know a thousand years prior, and then they Shut were up! on. You're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, so, guys, if you like Dr. Kip uh, Davis, you're gonna love him in the upcoming um, panel that we have. I I want to shout out a couple of things. Um. So tomorrow we have uh, Nicole Mitchell coming on, who went from pastor to porn star. Um, she, you know her from wow. Dr. Phil. Yeah, I know. You know, <laughs> you know her from Dr. Phil. You know her from Jimmy Kimmel. Um, she's so this is really a this story. is a live picture of you watching porn. 
yeah here, that, right that's actually yeah. I, I forgot i forgot the camera was on when that was taken um it was the first time i've ever seen it because obviously i, I would never watch something like that myself but um oh. but we do have <laughs> the back to tune in tomorrow for um and it's funny because um originally we we're drinking coffee but then she changed her answer because because she's gonna it's gonna be like 5 p.m for her to um to uh an electrolyte drink like hydrolyte so it's actually worked out perfectly because i'll probably need it oh, after good. yeah it's not whiskey <laughs> yeah so we have this amazing buy? panel coming up and guys we have yes, this we is going do. to be the go-to panel for slavery ap uh, apologetics to we i want this 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 panel to be like um, you know, someone online is telling you that slavery was actually just a big tickle fest and everyone got to get tickled and their belly rub before they went to sleep <laughs> and given a hot meal. And I want you to be able to take a clip from this and just send it straight to them and be like, shut the fuck up, basically. We're going to go over the Hebrew Bible, the slavery in the Hebrew Bible. Um, we're going to go over the Christians, um, uh, Christianity's uh, reaction to this. We're also going to be um, talking about the um, the consequences of this and modern slavery, and we're going to be addressing all the slavery apologetics and doing a big Q and A. It is a it is a huge huge panel. I like I I spoke to it's Derek, the who has biggest panel <laughs> ever that has uh, been assembled. I on the face was, yeah. of planet earth no there's like i had the people from the do the uh, nobel laureate speeches and they called me up and like how do you get that panel i'm like look man i i made some calls <laughs> actually dr josh made the calls but it's actually a bit like i called up derek from myth vision and he's like whoa he's like i'm impressed i'm like it was all dr josh he really put it together but something i want to give everyone a sneak peek on beforehand is and this is where i need oh, your yeah. help guys we got 56 viewers this is where it gets fun so uh the skeptic he does professional voiceover work for a living and he was gracious enough to do voiceover work for us um for some promotions that i'm putting out so i want to directly let me just let me just share with you guys something i want to directly respond to every single um apologetics claim so jordan peterson ben shapiro um mike winger uh, frank turek uh just a lot right so i just want to show you show you guys something so I'm probably myself, not phrase i am that i am <laughs> so we have the um slavery nobody. <laughs> yeah just the Sorry. ones that have a following the, the ones that are making a difference to people so you can see here we have categories right and look at this this is we have 28 pages of notes this is just uh quotes from apologists about slavery so someone um, from my discord tib and i have been going through this you can see we've got a quote here from doug wilson and then you can click right to the oh, video yeah. and it goes through you can see like we've i've we've just we're being very systematic about making sure we fit every category of argument into this uh tib here has made every category into its own like section and then given examples of what people say in those sections so what we've done um is i've taken these these arguments and i've been making little trailers and this week as deep drinks as a community we're going to go on twitter or wherever else is just as to toxic as twitter and we're going to tweet these videos out is there anywhere to these apologists to make them make them know that the five horsemen of uh, of the five Bible Bible scholar horsemen are coming for them. So this is uh, this is a little clip. So what I've done is I've taken taken a um, 
they're 15 seconds each. I might have, might have, some might have to be longer, but I've taken a section of what someone has said about slavery, how they've tried to justify slavery in the um, Hebrew and New Bible and the New Testament. And I've then um, shown where they kind of might be misleading someone. And then Skeptic has done um, the voiceover. So here we go. Let's check this out category of servants or slaves. This is the category where we can just call them the bad guys for now. Is John failing to mention that some of these bad guys were little girls? Find out March 11th. Oh, so, so I'll play that again because I just love it so much. Category of yes. servants or play slaves. This is the category where we can just call them the bad guys for now. Is John failing to mention that some of these bad guys were little girls? find out march 11th so so i'll be making one of them for like uh, frank turek i mean to me he's the scummiest of all um you know um yeah, eh? yeah. he's just some of the stuff he says is just horrendous um it really is I, and you know I, when i was going through this I apologetic think, stuff if I there's a hell the i think frank turek has to be first in line <laughs> I I don't know. What about Ken Hoven? And... Well, yeah, okay, all right. Maybe he's maybe he he's certainly he's certainly got a got a uh, an early admission. Yeah, uh, he's got the, the fast pass. The fast pass, like you get a Disney. The game. fast pass. <laughs> <laughs> because this, oh my god, like he's been doing this for how long? Like he's been doing this yeah. for over twenty years, I think, hasn't he? It's. It's oh, yeah, and it's not knows. that he knows this shit. He's being dishonest. He knows this. And and that's the he part that bothers me about all this. It, yes. it, it bothers me that like there's things like they'll say, like, well, you know, in this verse, the slaves can go free. And and they can even like Paul Copen does this, and they can even, you know, when they get passed on as inheritance to the to the sons, they can even extend this for life if they want. Little does little he doesn't mention the fact that. It's like he can't bring his family with him if the family was given to him by the slave master, and he has to have it all driven through his ear, um, like like cattle in a in a that field, sounds fine. Um, to, to mark it? him as property, yeah. and that his wife and children are chattel slaves. They can't come along with him if he wants to leave. If he wants to stay with his family, he has to be marked for life, and that's a and Hebrew servant. That's that not mean? the prisoners of war servants, right? It's it's dis it's like disgusting to be, to be. I think I feel like so much of the uh the ink spilled on the bond slave idea is spent on how wonderful this relationship is look how devoted and of course the reason for this is because this is the imagery that uh paul and the other new testament writers used to describe the relationship of the believer to Jesus Christ. So it looks like it's something noble and it's something uh, very self-effacing and, and self-sacrificing. But think, think, people, what does this mean? If you are permanently devoting yourself to the service of one individual, what does this mean? Like mm. I don't think people think through the 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 practical application of this of what it means in the like in the real world on the I, ground when uh, I, when you get right down to it. The the thing that I like to do is I I like to when when someone tries to defend slavery to me, 
I just stop using the word slave. I, d- I just ask them, is owning the, another person as property yeah. moral? Just, I don't, I don't care about slavery. Yeah. I don't care about servanthood. Is it okay to own another person as property? And you should see how uncomfortable they get. But it's, it's not that, it's not that I'm not, so, okay, I need to say something. So a friend of mine who is not a Christian at all, one of my best friends, he said to me, uh, I was telling him about this stuff and he said, oh, don't do that. You, you know, we, we talk, give each other advice. He said, don't do that thing where you kind of virtue signal and you say like, oh, slavery is disgusting and I'm outraged and all this stuff. And he's like, because everyone accepts that. Everyone knows that's the case. And I said, hang on, man. <laughs> no, they don't. No, I was like, it, it, no, it, it's, they don't. It's like, if, it's like if I went to a Klan rally and was saying like, Oh, we all think slavery is bad. Many of these apologists whitewash this issue, and it is an issue. And the, the John point MacArthur of the panel... very recently said that this was a preferable economic system yeah, to what, what we is have today in place in the mm. Western world. Yeah, he said this. Yeah, and like. I'm, I, and I've been speaking to Tib about this because he's like, well, should we go into theology when we're creating this document? And I said, no. I said, don't worry about theology because um, I don't care about the argument. Because there, there are arguments that can be made. Like, is it a good thing to own other people as property? I don't care about that argument. Go for it. Go have that argument. But I, I want to at least have everyone on the same page. So it's like, no, no, the Bible is explicitly talking about that. The Bible is explicitly talking about this type of slavery. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't different to chattel slavery that we see in, um, you know, going over um, in the, the interval and South is different in some ways. Sure. Of course. Like there are, there are, there are parts that are different, but there's more similarities than there are differences in the, the, um, the chat uh entity himself so it's like and it's just i, would, I just want to stop the dishonesty say, yeah i agree and i would say when people when people say that that it's different than what was in the antebellum south i'm like are cool. we sure <laughs> yeah are we sure <laughs> yeah because all we have to go on this is the reports of the slave owners. Mm. I mean, the slave owners are telling us that this is great. The slaves are having a wonderful time. They're okay in mm. this uh, in this state in which they find themselves. But what we don't have are any, and I mean any, uh, sorts of testimony from slaves themselves in antiquity i think certainly not judean antiquity yeah we yeah exactly and we have that i bought a book that i'm probably not going to get around to reading but it's about it's like the earliest account we have of like a slave writing his story in the antebellum south but yeah but um i remember showing this clip to to my wife amy um and you know she when she saw the section of the little girl running and and that she went she made one of those laughs that's like because she knew how like how heavy that is but it's like it's shining a light it's like you know i'm i'm a uh i I would consider myself an lgbt ally um i i I love my uh my my gay trans lgbt folks like i don't like to me like i think they get like persecuted way too much in society but one of the things 
and I, and I would never, I, I, I would never or rarely use the word, um, the F slur, right? But there is one occasion where, from my opinion, I think it was actually relevant to, to, and good to say. Uh, well, I don't know about good, but it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. But it's when Christopher Hitchens was debating with Stephen Fry. Uh, he was debating two Catholics. And he he said, he, he essentially used the F slur. Um, and he said, um, you know, you're, you, he said uh, in front of a whole audience of people, um, you know, uh, you're an image, you're, you're a child made in the image of God. No, you're not. You're an F slur. And you can't be, you can't go to heaven and you can't join our church. And it was like, yeah. like that was like brutal for him to say, but it's like the brutality was actually like pointing out the, it like, it like shook people to the core. Like, whoa, this is, this isn't something that like Christopher Hitchens isn't saying this. He's saying it's fucked up that the church is saying this. And he's like kind of bringing the brutality of that out to, out to the forefront. I still have issues saying that oh, I wouldn't say the word personally. Well, I, unless I've found reasonable, but but in that way, it wasn't bigoted towards um, the LGBT community. It was bigoted. To, it was like pointing out like, hey, the church is being bigoted. And I think that needs to happen. And that's what I tr I'm trying to do with these clips. So, yeah. Um, so um, so we're at the um, part of the interview, Kip, where where um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little intoxicated. I've been, I've been rambling about Christopher Hitchens oh. for a little bit. <laughs> and yeah, uh, right. you're a little intoxicated. So I'm, I want to end there. <laughs> okay good um there's so much everyone there, there, there is good so job. much there is so much that we didn't get to touch on um I, i'd have to have you on another time i, I will actually what i'm going to do is um there's a couple of starred comments that i, I put down and okay. uh i, I want to get your quick opinion on them and keep it quick and we can do this another time but um so chat gdp said we don't even know if david existed at all francesca stafford who huge fan of says he didn't yep. what are your thoughts so um i will say that the historical evidence that we have for a person uh david is not strong mm -hmm. uh it's the, the case is not good um deep in my heart <laughs> I want there to be an historical David. And so, and I'll be honest with you, like I have, um, one of the, one of the things that I, that I've done on YouTube that I don't feel, uh, got nearly enough attention for how awesome it was, was I gave a lecture on myth vision podcast all about, um, uh, like an historical David and how uh, there might be propaganda against the Davidic monarchy in Genesis chapter. I it's 37. I think it's the story mm. of uh, uh, the story of Onan spilling a seed is actually, I think all about um, the, the dumb fuckery of the house <laughs> of David. Um, so there it is. Yeah. Don't Wait, spill your seat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That okay. one. It's an, it's awesome. Um, so, uh, of, of course I look like, uh, I look like a character from, uh, um, <laughs> Minecraft. Yeah. And, and I forgot to, like, I, 
I forgot to plug myself into my uh, my router today, so I hope this looks okay today. But yeah, um, I, I will I, say, so, Kip, I just need I just need to stop you there. Like one thing, yeah. like so, I you have a background in scholarship, obviously. My background yeah. is in marketing, and like um, I've offered to help you set up because like it 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 tears me apart that like I couldn't find your credentials anymore online. I tried to find your Patreon, like, and that's something I, I, wow. I mentioned before, but I'll mention again, but like, we need, like from a marketing perspective, you're like, you're, you're running at like 10% of your potential. You need to tell people what, like why you're like, it's, so go guys, go check out okay. his Patreon and we're going yeah. to like be adding the links to your, your YouTube and stuff. And, and, and like, cause, cause people need to know you're not, you're not just like some like metalhead who's like, yeah, like, you know, it looks like a I'm Minecraft not just player. a metalhead <laughs> drinks rye all day. Yeah. Yeah. You know your stuff, like you're, you're a Bible scholar and you're active Bible scholar, which so, is so cool. Anyway, keep going. But David, I, uh, the, the case for an historical David is not good, but I want to believe that there was an historical David. Is, is, is that okay? What, what we can say, I think what we can say is that there was, uh, there was probably a Judean kingdom, um, that is a, a, a kingdom in and around Jerusalem uh, in at least the 8th century, um, which seems to have been connected to a figure identified as David. Uh, and mm -hmm. we know that from the Teldan inscription. But, like, that's the best we can do. We honestly, we have no fucking idea about this guy apart from what we read in the biblical text and the biblical texts are heavily heavily edited they're not particularly reliable historical sources you need to really be able to um work through them uh mm. with like a fine-tooth historical comb uh but yeah i've got a soft spot i've got a soft spot for <laughs> thinking that there's an historical david so okay well, just as we end, we got, we got, I got a couple of questions I always ask everyone, but just before we do that, guys, make sure you subscribe to Deep Drinks. It tells yes. YouTube, it's, it's, it tells YouTube that you like what you're seeing. So, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, <laughs> subscribe doesn't really work as much as it used to anyway. So it's, it, you probably see the video just as much as you would anyway. But if you subscribe, it tells YouTube that you care enough about um, this podcast and what we're doing um, to follow. So, we got 1,277 subscribers as as like live right now. So if you feel like subscribing, please hit the subscribe button, um, and um, I'll greatly appreciate it. Um, but one thing I want to if you don't ask... feel like subscribing, hit the subscribe button anyways. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's um. What yeah, are you exactly? It's no well, skin Kill off of you. We'll come. We'll come for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you'll have to. <laughs> Listen to my inane ramblings <laughs> for an eternity. <laughs> and that um, is the definition of hell. 
<laughs> so um so i i often reference the um the part in the interview where i you know i've, I've had so much whiskey you know i've drunk half this, this bottle this little bottle holy <laughs> shit so where i'm where i'm trying to find the end, end broadcast button but um so this I is where i'm at I, now so I, I i appreciate that there are still 59 people watching um and i hope that i'll see a lot of a couple of people are drinking along with us so if you are that's great if you're sober that's also great but um, I have a question for you um, that I ask all um, all people that come on, well, most people that come on, Dr. Kip Davis, which is... Yes, sir. I guess, so you started out as a fundamentalist, and we can go into this another time, but you started no. out as a, well, not I a fundamentalist, a, a Christian, okay. a, a progressive yep. Christian, right? Yep. Yeah. Now you're, now you're not you're not particularly convinced, and we, we talked about that in private, um, that you it wasn't necessarily your scholarship, but it was other things going on. But in regards to your God belief, uh, what, if anything, would change your mind? What would As change my mind? A bunch of whiskey is flowing through your God. veins. <laughs> <laughs> what would change my mind? Uh, I guess it would be what would unchange my mind um i think and i mean i you know i i guess i'm pretty vocal on um i've become fairly vocal on youtube about my um disbelief or my unbelief but in order to reverse that, uh, honestly, it's it's incredibly difficult. It would it would have to be something, quite frankly, spectacular. Just because I've spent enough time, I spent most of my life in evangelical Christianity, and as a result of that. I think I have become conditioned to recognize that my own perceptions of things are not to be trusted. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the, the brain is a remarkable pattern building machine that uh, will uh, deceive us necessarily in order to help us to survive and as a result of that um it's just becoming incredibly difficult to i'm like really slurring my speech here aren't i <laughs> i don't know no i don't think you are I, well maybe maybe that's really guys bad. comment are we both slurring our speech i think we're both very coherent but but, but i'm not a very good judge at the moment i i've been drunk enough to know that i'm like pretty drunk <laughs> um and and when I get like this, I start to ramble. So I don't want to do No, that. ramble away. Um, this is deep drinks. This isn't surface drinks. <laughs> wow. Okay, we're both doing good. <laughs> what a platform. <laughs> um, uh, so, like, I mean, I, I, I'm a guy who, when I was 16 years old, um, 
you know, I saw demons in the campfire. I had encounters with angels when I was 18 years old at the C train station. Anybody who's lived in Calgary knows what I'm talking about. Not about the angels, but about the C train. Um, I have come to recognize that my own perception of things is so fragile and fallible that it can't even be trusted, which is mm. why I need the constant affirmation of the tools that I've been provided through scholarship to investigate these sorts of phenomena. This is what I do when it comes to antiquity, when it comes to uh, ancient texts. That sounded funny coming out of my mouth. Um, I, you know, I, I am, I am, I am trained to look at the minutia in an effort to understand what's real and to tease out what's fanciful. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, I've come to a place where I don't even know what would convince me because I'm now in a position where I'm always questioning my own perceptions of the world around me. You know, I, I've, mm. I've told people, I, I know people who are absolutely, fundamentally, 100% convinced that they know Jesus. Mm. And because I was once there and I once validated that, I almost don't even feel like my own opinion on this matter even counts. Mm. So if I say that I don't think anything could convince me, this is why. It's because I've come to the point of recognizing that I am just as fallible as every single one of you. But, 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 uh, Dr. Kill, do you realize that you've just got to have faith? That's the, that's the, the kick in the teeth. <laughs> I, I think that I like to ask people is like, you know, I've got an optical illusion here and this is a still image. Oh yeah. Um, it's moving for me, but I, and I'm, I'm struggling to, to work out if it is, it, is it the whiskey or is it the image, but it's moving for me. Definitely. I, it's not and moving it's like, for me. Okay. Well, okay. Well, okay. Um, maybe, okay. but, but, but either way, the, the point is that optical illusions like you know we, yeah, we, see, we right. see with our eyes and we're 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 we're, ink, we're we're um we don't see the true representation of what's going on um and you know it's to me that's something that like what about what if, what if there are audible illusions you know we know that are audible illusions what if there are emotional illusions like people those. who have emotion emotional illusions right yeah like and yeah. you know 
Um, I've got a little bit of this whiskey left, Kip, and I think that what we should do is we should do another episode where we just You're talk a champ. About, we should talk <laughs> about your your deconversion experience where you see demons and you see all those things because that's a, that's an interesting story. Um, uh, I, I think, and you know, it, it's amazing. We have, and we just have a couple of quick comments. Sure. When did the uh, discovering ancient history with Pat Lewinger? Um, when did so, the Jews slash Christians start using my religion? guy? Yeah, cool dude. When did the Jews Christians start living start using living God? I don't know. Okay. Sorry, Pat. I I don't know when. Everyone go but check that's out an interesting Pat's question. Pat's channel, and I'm sure he's going to do some research on that, and then he's going to make a video on it. So go go subscribe to Discovering Ancient History with Pat Lowinger. Um, there you go. It's, at least you, you didn't get your question answered, but at least you got a um, shout out. Um, Nitty said, didn't the DSS have baptism such meal rituals predating Christianity? Oh, yeah. So this is one of the fairly uh, exciting, interesting things about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and about the uh, discovery of the site of Qumran, the uh, ruins in close proximity to the caves where the manuscripts were discovered. This is a community that engaged in uh, a, regu a regular program of ritual purifier purification by water. Um, they would they had a complicated system of mikvot. These are, um, I guess, for a lack of a better term, baptismal fonts, uh, pools of water uh, through which you could ritually purify yourself. Uh, and the reason this was important was because the people who wrote and collected the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were convinced that they were um, participating in celestial worship in a celestial temple. So they actually believed that they were communing with actual angels um, in a cosmic temple. Um, and as a, and because of this, the requirements were, that you had to be just as as clean and spotless as possible so the uh you know the remains are there in the uh in the ground at Qumran. there's tons of mikvot all over the place and i think this definitely uh corresponds to the prescriptions for ritual pur purification and baptism that we read about in the new testament and in uh the letters of paul interesting it's um i i won't lie i'm struggling to follow um but i will watch this back <laughs> so um i'm worried about that... watching this back i'll be honest yeah no we're, we're, i think we're okay i think we're okay um, and this is what deep drinks is all about, right? Um, so not necessarily getting drunk, but like, you know, having, everyone having a good time. And you know. I, I've noticed yeah. that not okay. everybody has gotten drunk on this show before. 
No, I'll tell you what, <laughs> this might rival the Shut On Q episode where Shut On Q and I drunk a run for three and a half hours. But um, so, last question, unless we get any more super chats, which is what is the most plausibly true religion that you don't believe in? Oh, fuck off. It's <laughs> the most plausibly true religion that I while I don't know most of the religions. Uh you have to choose one. Like let's say, let's say like um you, <sighs> you died and you you got brought to a room. You know and what? There's a big big sign that said you didn't choose the right religion, but there is one that's I, correct. If you choose the right okay. one, you go to, to its afterlife. Which one do you think is the most plausible? And this so perhaps this is a testament to um i guess my my introspection and just how deeply ingrained i am but i think if i were to convert to another religion it would probably be judaism Interesting. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because within the Jewish heritage, there is a strong um, tolerance for disagreement and for discussion mm. and dialogue. Wow, and, what a uh, terrific answer. Oh, Okay. Most well, that's most, good. Most people, most people say Buddhism, you know, and I think a lot of people say Buddhism you know, because I, I get it, it, right? Like I have a, um, I have a friend, my my friend Orstein Yusnes, who I've mentioned uh, before, is a like he's written a he's written books about mindfulness. Uh, they're all in Norwegian, so nobody can read them. I, I assume there's some people out there in Norway who can read them. But other than that, nobody can read them. But he is, he is, yeah, he is a, he is a strong proponent of like Buddhism and mindfulness. And I, and I get it. I get the appeal, but I don't know. There's just, there's, there's something familiar about, um, I guess, believing in the religious tradition that, that I've inherited mm. as a as a North American. Mm. That's um, I'm that's amazing. I'm glad that you said that because it's uh, everyone chooses Buddhism, uh, and I think they they choose it because it's like Buddhist statues are everywhere, and well, at least they are in Australia. And um, you can be like, an atheist like a, and be a Buddhist. Yeah, too. and I think that's I think that's yeah. I think that's part of it. Yeah, right. But um, Cheryl, Cheryl actually came in with a super chat, and Cheryl is uh, the the very first member. If you see here, she's the first first disciple, wow. and she's also super chatted. Um, you know, she she's says, one of my patrons, eh? She's well. I'm saying she. I hope it's a she. Sorry, um, but <laughs> you know, I, let's hope so. You're amazing. You're amazing. Yeah, don't get yeah, you are, are you doing Cheryl. any courses on DSS with Derek on MythVision. Thank you for because uh, this so, was we talked about this. I was I was, I was supposed to mention this, but uh, thank you, Cheryl. Oh, for right. So <laughs> I super chatting this. I have a I have a non DSS course uh, coming up on MythVision, uh, hopefully at the end of the month, called 
um, real Israelite religion, facts on the ground, and propaganda in the Bible, uh, which basically tackles the question of what the people who lived in the Syrophoenician region that we now identify as, as Judah, Israel, within this Palestine area, what they actually believed and how they actually worshipped and then how that those ideas ended up becoming co-opted and uh, shaped within the canon with within the text that became the Hebrew Bible. Um, so, plug out of the way. Uh, am I doing any courses? I have nothing uh, planned yet. Um, probably next, I will. I will probably do, Derek and I have been talking about doing a course on the book of Jeremiah, which I think would be amazing. Um, maybe in the future, I will do a course on the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm pretty focused right now on the materials that I'm putting together for the Dead Sea Scrolls unapologetically, uh, which is my uh, series on YouTube. The plan is to compile that and put it together and and uh, uh, market that within a book. Um, so I will probably do that first before tackling something on uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls in the form of the of a course. And if I ever do a course on the Dead Sea Scrolls, it probably won't be just a standard introductory course mm -hmm. but would more likely be something like the dead sea scrolls in the bible or the dead sea scrolls and apocalypticism or uh the dead sea scrolls and the priesthood uh in early judaism which i think is pretty fascinating but maybe one day, uh, probably not in the short term, though. Sorry, Cheryl. Mm. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much. And you have informed us that you are a lady. You have to be careful. I, I want to be, I, oh, you know, yeah. you have a female name, but I want to make sure that's why I'm um, inclusive of people who may have a, yeah, anyway. The, the point is... She um, is all female. She, and she's not only all female she's all awesome she's been such a great she supporter is um awesome we'll become we'll become friends on facebook she's amazing um so there's so much more i want to go into with you but um i will <laughs> i will say that um this has been a Holy fantastic cow. interview i think sorry that i just looked at the time <laughs> yeah yeah we've gone for nearly three hours and i i, I do want to say i'm going to i'm going to is this a this. record uh, no, we did three and a half hours with Neil, uh, although oh. we were drinking wine, so it was a little easier to keep under control. But I'm yeah, going to yeah. keep this. I'm going to keep this for you, um, Dr. Kill, and we're going oh, yeah. to have you on again another time because it's just been fantastic. And I think you're going thank to have you so to buy much a new for coming bottle. on. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got a lot there, but um, I mean, I mean, if you have to tell your wife, yeah, honey, I have to. You know, it's I have to get the. You know, D Dave wants it for deep I, think I'm I have okay. to get it. You know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so thank you so much, Kip, for coming on. Guys, thank you for subscribing to Deep Drinks Podcast. We can see we've gone up a few subscribers. Oh, yeah. Thanks, 
Thanks for checking out the Patreon as well. Yeah, man. And Dr. Kip's Patreon. And I'm just trying to see if where the other things are. Check out um, Myth Vision's uh, um, podcast okay. with the episodes with Kip on it. And of course, uh, I I had it I had it here, but in the description we have um, Dr. Kip's channel as well as his Patreon. So go check out that as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Kip Davis, for coming on. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. And guys, yeah, look man. forward to the slavery panel. And stay tuned on Twitter if you follow me. We're not drinking drinks. for that, are we? <laughs> uh, you can if you want, but we're, there's no. <laughs> Deep drinks panels, we're just going to let people do their own thing. But I will say that, um, I will say that, guys, I, I'm thinking either tomorrow or the next day, I'm, well, I'm going to start the a very aggressive ad campaign to make sure these apologists know that the five horsemen of biblical scholarship are coming to call out their bullshit on slavery apologists and human rights violations. So, with that said, I'm on my thank you, horse. Dr. Thank you, Dr. Kip. Let's do this. Amen. Praise Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs>